Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's April 29th, 2022, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 478. I'm your host, Rob Zachney. I'm joined by Patrick Klapik. Hey. Renata Price. Patty. Our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. And uh, we have some exciting news here. Patrick has become a being of pure efficiency. Um, he's living that multi-monitor life. He invested. Now, I remember Patrick got very excited because he bought a really nice Dell monitor and got a really good deal on it. it did. And he wouldn't have bought himself a good monitor unless he got a good deal. Like Correct. he needs, mm-hmm. unless nice things fall off the back of a truck into mm-hmm. Patrick's lap, he won't give himself nice things. Patrick's but the then it can. turns out, you're very excited. You were messaging me, I think, this past weekend. You were like, hey, yes. guess what? A matching monitor. And not yet another. So, yeah. Yes. So the. Let me just pull it up on Best Buy. Yeah. The Dell. Uh, at, oh, come on. Website. Uh, the S27 uh, 21 DGF 27 inch, which is like the monitor. They're like when I talked about getting a new monitor, everyone's like, hey, this is like the nice middle of the road. 1440p. Like got all the shit you need. 27 is like a nice, good size on the desk. And I was like, OK, got that. But waited because I was like five hundred bucks. I I just spent two grand on the on the, on the PC. I gotta wait. I gotta wait more time. And so part of the reason people recommended this one was specifically that it goes on sale substantially all the time. You just have to be be patient and just wait for. It doesn't even have to be a good holiday. It's just websites looking for a reason to put a deal and tie it to a holiday. And so like one of those rolled around. The monitor went from. It's listed, you know, it's MSRP is $449 to uh, $300 new. But then you just scroll down a little bit. It's like, hey, hey, what if it was just like a box that was already open? Perfectly good monitor. Like maybe it was opened. And why is it back in this box? Can't really tell you. Will we give you a warranty? (laughs) Yes. You can return this shit. Would you like to knock off an additional $80? I'm like, me? Get a $449 monitor for $220? That's Costco value, baby. That's the Kirkland <laughs> that's, way. I'll purchase Patrick that. the deals king. Patrick the deals um, king's here. It is. And, Lording over uh, his kingdom. And, and, and the, because believe me, I looked, at the, I looked at the Costco monitors. They were not, they did not have a good selection. Not what I wanted. And, uh, and there are no deals to be found there. Uh, but uh, the big thing with those monitors is that when they're open box. Maybe one of the reasons they were sent back is like, look, the monitor's fine, but how do you feel about a dead pixel? And I was like, okay, so that's the gamble I'm making. So it shows up. We like connected it the same day that I got access to Elden Ring. And I was like, great, this will be the way I find out it has a dead pixel. Doesn't have a dead pixel. Perfectly good monitor. Nice. Uh, and then the world I was in was, all right, I have a 27-inch nice monitor. And next to it is an old, also Dell. Shout out to Brad Shoemaker for buying a bunch of those. It's a giant bomb. Uh 
1080p 23 inch. And I, I, I got by on that for a while. I like set them together. I managed to like meld the cognitive issues that like the, the monitors don't match up correctly. Cause the setup, I guess I should describe as key. The way I've done my two monitors is like slightly at an angle on my right and left, but they essentially connect as though they're a curved monitor. And although you may are your, your response there be, Hey, Patrick, if you're setting them up as a curved monitor, in essence, shouldn't you just get one? Uh, it's a weird, I like having my like transcripts and everything on a completely separate monitor. Like if it was in a different window, mm-hmm. it would not be the same experience. I like that. Uh, and like, I can tell you right now, places. it doesn't, it isn't one-to-one. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And I'll tell you the, the real, the real nightmare of it is that the little shortcut keys to snap windows around uh, in windows don't really handle the ultra wide like curve monitor thing smartly like it's like do you want it 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 does the monitor by halves mm-hmm. so if you have an ultra wide what it wants to do is just like all right i'm helping i have now <laughs> cut your monitor in half now you yep. have two huge windows yeah and it's like you could have done three or four, but Windows just has no idea what you're talking about. So I do really miss when I had two 27-inch monitors that was like, okay, now I have four usable like workspaces in yeah. front of me. Uh, you know, two off to the side, two for reference. Uh, you know, two active. That's great. Uh, so no, Patrick, I do support you in this. Like, I think um, it's like purely a workflow is, thing. Is like, cool, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I, I also have this, and I, I just want to note, Patrick, there is there is yeah. there is a there is a solution to this about the fact okay. that they don't feel contiguous. I have a I have a larger monitor and a smaller monitor. Mm-hmm. Oh, but set at different heights. One of them is nineteen twenty by ten eighty. The other is is twenty. They're set at different heights, so the bottom, uh, the bottom left of my smaller monitor perfectly aligns with the point that the mouse continues on to the other screen. That's beautiful. So they, so they feel, so they do feel contiguous. Um, but Patrick's so, living that yeah. Lux life and it just kind of them perfectly. Moved. She's got two, <laughs> I did. I did. I, I had them like right, right up next to each other. And so, uh, you know, I go a couple of months and I'm like, I do want to buy this, this, uh, 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 I'm just going to pair these monitors. At some point I'll just buy a second one. But the Patrick way is you're going to wait till that, that deal happens. And I said it out loud, which meant, I, that I knew that some one of our wonderful listeners at some point would ping me to let me know, like, hey, that's on sale again. And sure enough, last weekend, it's like, hey, you gremlin, Best Buy has it on sale again. And I looked at the open box. The deals are good. Uh, and I was like, okay. So I was able to, for roughly the same price, get another one, like, essentially half off. Shows up, no, no dead pixels. So at this moment I do that, I also... Go to Amazon. I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to finally make the switch. Like, I'm not going to put these on the desk. I'm, I'm losing so much desk real estate with like yeah. the giant stand um, that I, I was like, I'm just wasting like a perfectly nice like L-shaped desk that I have. I'm going to get a dual monitor set up. I don't need that third monitor. It turns out I like I, I thought about it. and I was like, I don't need it. So I'll get the dual monitor set up and I get, it comes yesterday and I set it all up. And when I still haven't fixed the height issue I told you about, Rob, which is that. These monitors are currently attached on arm adjustable arms, but they're like precise heights are a little bit off. And so there's like a something you can uh, manipulate in the back with a wrench to like change it by a couple of centimeters. I haven't done that. That is not why I'm in a dark place. I was in a dark place about that last night. I accepted it and knew I wasn't <laughs> going to get to that till this weekend and just have to forget that these things do not line up. But I've never had monitors on an arm before. And so the 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 
options you get with the arm life are mm. that you can adjust it in so many different ways. I have had the same mm. monitor set up for probably a decade. And this is the first shit. time that I have uh -oh. adjusted it. And I fucking hate it. I feel uncomfortable all the time. Like I managed to write a thousand words this morning, but it was like the most anxious a thousand words I have ever written. What out loud tell myself, don't touch the monitor. Don't like I'm hitting my hand. Like don't touch that monitor, but I don't like how it feels over there. What if I was to adjust it like a little bit to the left? Maybe that's, you know, it's taking a long time for me to shift my head over to check something on the left monitor. That's not how it felt before. Maybe this doesn't <laughs> feel good. And I may, but maybe it's the right monitor's fault. Like maybe if I move the right monitor back and then I just, and I have done that so many times uh, this morning and <laughs> I hate it. I thought about just taking the monitors down just actually, you know what? Maybe I don't need desk real estate. Maybe I don't need anything at this desk. I just put things back to how they were, but I'm trying to live with it. But I don't I, like it. I can't, Patrick, I feel so much solidarity with you in this moment because mm -hmm. I can't tell if my curved monitor is tilted at a three degree <laughs> angle or not for <laughs> fucking months since I got this arm, I've been unable to tell if my curved monitor is just fucking three degrees off center in a way that like I can barely even register it in my brain. But there'll be some moments where I look at the bottom of the monitor. And I'm like, is that, that square? Uh, is that, <laughs> I'm going to get a level out later. Like I oh don't my trust my eyesight on this. I'm going to get a level because like I'm looking at it, I'm like, that looks level. And then I come back and I look again. I don't think that's level. I need I need is, a device to tell me if that's level on. or not. Is there any method once you have it tuned to lock it in, or will you simply yes eventually yes. reach yes. over and accidentally no. knock it off its axis? Like I, ha I have all of the I have all so of the reach over like send that's just spinning. <laughs> I know. So there, there you, you know you have different wrenches um, and there are different spots on on the monitor arms that you can uh, loosen and tighten. And where I have them at right now is. Tight enough that they will not budge if not touched. Mm -hmm. Loose enough that if I if I touch it at all, it can be adjusted without you know doing any damage to to the hardware. The, the idea being that like for at least a couple of days, I need to like just live with it and right. be fussy with it and figure out where I'm at, and then at some point I will just lock it in and live with it for another week and like but like try to commit to it so I can see what I can do. Well, you were saying I should you wrote link the arms, please. Which ones did you get? Um, like what's here, the so and, and what you, you want is just them to sit side by side. So they're like a, a one. I don't like think contiguous. I do. I, I don't okay. think I. So well, in theory, I do. Like the, yeah, if, if they were like contiguous next to each other, but I get the bezels and the fact they're separate monitors give me the workflow mm -hmm. mental thing that I'm just used to and I don't want to break. But um, they're too big and I sit too close. Like my desk doesn't mm -hmm. allow them to sit like right next to each other unless I like mounted them on the wall or something obnoxious or got a new desk and I'm not going to go down that path. So instead I need to figure them out at, at, at certain angles where I can accomplish much of the same stuff. And like, I, again, when I eventually sat down and wrote, I was like, Oh, this feels like 90% of the way there. And so I do feel better than I did before, but it's just, is this I've just, just never really there's like little zones you can't get them to go. Like there's little like spots that they don't. It, it this, is. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's related to my desk space. The Like my desk is extremely tight in my office. Like I don't have the ability to like I'm, I'm now in retrospect. Like a lot of this came about talking to Natalie and how she had her set up. It's like her desk is in the middle of a room. And so mm. she just has complete freedom to like 
move, you know, how it's connected to the desk, move the monitors. And like, it's like a huge pain in the ass. Like, I had to have, have a friend help me move the desk back, move, move a bookshelf back, this thing that's yeah. behind me. It's heavy. And then oh, once no. I did that, it's like, get, get the monitor, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, a thing into place. And to move that, I could do it, but like, I really don't want to. Um, and so I'm just sort of trying to, trying to live with it. But I've just never interrupted my workflow to this degree. And like the, I guess I just never quite realized like how specific I had gotten. I guess because it's been six years in this house. It's sort of like got, I th- think shit set up here. It's like, cool. This is how I operate. Uh, here is my, here is where a part of my hyper efficiency comes from. And like the moment I like, adjusted that by like giving a gap between monitors i didn't realize how quickly i would psychologically crumble uh, <laughs> at the prospect yeah this is, is this is oh please Kato. i was just gonna ask is any of it like have to do with the way the mouse travels along the screens that's throwing you off when it's it's off, my head no it's just not, the like mouse is where fine. It is. it's my okay it is literally so you're looking at me on the webcam like for me to like get full view of this is where I have you guys on, uh-huh. on Discord right now. Um, that travel time uh-huh. is it's not long, but it is <laughs> exponentially longer than it used to be. Right. Um, and so that's the kind of thing where it's like, am I fuss? Is is it? Oh, there is an ideal monitor setup that will get me closer to that physical travel time, or do I need to shit? Like I'm used to writing at this diagonal, like in between the L. Right. Um, cause I like that my elbows sit on the desk. That's oh. how I've gotten used to thing as opposed to oh, a lot that's of people. Fucking who fascinating. Wait, you sit right. between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not like a choice. It just sort of ended up that way. And so now so for wait, a lot of you, people, right. When they, is your head never in line with your body? The monitor, you mean? Your head, your head. Oh no, it's always, it's always. Are you line. always like, like off I'm, to the sides slightly? Like, like this? No, I'm not. That would be this. No, where I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm always staring at the primary monitor okay. that, um, you still, and that's you still turn. Myself, uh, yeah, I well, still, I, okay. <laughs> you know what, Kato? Not all of us have chairs that can turn, so some of us do turn our little heads. Cause some, if some only there was some months, way <laughs> in the year 2022 to get a chair. Several months into a well paying union job that they could buy a chair. Uh, this is, this is me in my folding chair until my back just gave out where I was like, I could, this, this folding chair is perfectly good. And actually it's pretty support, you know, Hey, I know you think it looks uncomfortable. You're telling me like, that's going to be bad for you. And I'm I'm here to tell you like, uh, I'm fine with this. I like it actually. Um, and it only aches on the bad days. Yeah. Wait, look, there's, look, there's some days. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes I stand up Well, I, I can't fully stand up. Sometimes I have to like sort of rise at the haunches first and then slow the cantilever upwards but that's just yeah. you know i mean that's, that's just normal. alive that's a quirk of this chair that's alive to me to me yeah. that is alive i mean who's to say that's even the chair's fault right it's probably my fault for you know if i took more breaks uh you know it's a, that's just my body telling me you should have been more active today mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so i just got uh, a cold this... feeling down my lower back i wonder what that could be. <laughs> <laughs> this thing you linked patrick yeah. I'm realizing now they you can't move them up and down, right? Unless you they're can. together. So yeah, so you, like yeah, you have to yeah. so this one is yeah, you cannot the the arms themselves are not like individually height adjustable. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is, it is like the monitors go up as which is fine with me. I knew that buying uh-huh, that uh-huh. I was not yeah, yeah, going yeah. to be I'm just like putting yeah, yeah. But there is there is So the issue uh, is that there's an adjustment to make them lined up. 
Because I, w- yes. I was thinking you were going crazy with the type of ones that are like two separate things. Which right, like which I, I, I that's uh, that's that's harder to line up if you want them lined up. I understand, but this is like this looks like it was made tailor made for the thing you want. Yeah, <laughs> but it it's is. still it is. It slightly is. off. And again, I so, can't tell if it, it. I'm not even necessarily uh, uh, upset at the device as much as it's just like illustrative of like a lot of my life and how I work and how I'm able to like write as much as I do. Uh-huh. And even just like being a parent is just like you are hyper efficient with your time. When am I doing this? How am I doing this? And so you've the patterns I fall into in doing that work, like, I guess I just wasn't prepared for, like, oh, like, adding two inches of a gap between the monitors, which increases the travel time of me swiveling and my <laughs> eyes to, like, look at. Because, like, the primary way I write um, is I have a I have a, I have a Google Doc open on my right monitor um, that that's what I'm writing in. And sometimes I'll, like, use a piece of software that, uh, you know, like, makes all the, the rest of your desktop disappear. So you just have the document in front of you. That doesn't usually work for me because... I can do that for like reviews where it's like, I don't need to reference anything. I'm just trying to get through my own thoughts. But if I'm like reporting, I have, you know, two dozen tabs. I'm going to email. Like I just, I need the full slate of the operating system. And on the left-hand side is where all my reporting happens. Like that's where I'm like flicking between my inbox and my transcripts and all those sorts of things. And like, that that's always, that that's why I like having them separate is because like, I think of them as two distinct categories of, of things that I'm doing. And it just was not. I was just not prepared. It's interesting. It's good. You should, you know what? As you approach 40, you, sh- you should get a little uncomfortable. Um, and that's what my <laughs> Way ahead of you, champ. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I, hey, what if I told you I was doing that at age 22? So well, see, you, uh, you spend your early off. 20s doing that, then figuring out what you want, thinking yeah, you're settled. That is the thing. And then you get into your 30s and go, oh, boy. Um, and then, so, you, then you get a rob. I remember I had a friend who was like, the thing you don't, because this is right around the time I was like about to turn 30. And a friend of mine was like, the thing is, what's underrated is like what I call the 30s swagger, where it's like you kind of know who you are. Your life's mm-hmm. a little more together. And like a lot of stuff that's like hard and painful, you just kind of figured it out. And you don't realize how much that stuff was weighing you down until suddenly like the weights kind of drop and you're just like, hey, I can just work this. The thing he didn't tell me was that that feeling was like a comet shooting across the sky. <laughs> and it was like, ooh, it's so bright in this dark night of aging. Wow, I love it. We could, we truly, we can, we can live by this light. And that was like three years. <laughs> and then it was like, it's like 30 to 33. And then you have to confront questions of like, do I want to be a parent? What am I doing with what's money? Oh, I'm supposed to care about that. Now. You know what I mean? Like, that's, hey, my then- parents are aging. Or, like, other members of my family are going through some stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, no, people die all the time yep. now. This is upsetting. Oh, well, I got yeah. that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I got that out of the way. So, every time Patrick talks about his workflow and his personal efficiency, I really realize kind of how severe the ADHD that I have is. It is, it is truly incredible to speak to Patrick. <laughs> And, and hear him describe his workflow where I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm sick. Oh, I don't I am work an, I am an outlier. Like, I, I, I do think I'm probably, like, for folks who are, like, more mainline reporters, they would probably look a lot at what I do and, like, it would make more sense. Maybe, I would assume. But, like, I don't know. Like, I've largely worked at Waypoint with <laughs> messy critics like Rob and Austin and, and yourself, in which the process <laughs> is just different. It's not as linear, right? Like, my, like, what I do, I mean, yes, there's a creative part of, like, coming up with a story and angles and quite, yeah, but, but, like, it's just different. And so I think those processes don't 
necessarily lend themselves as much to um I need to say really smart things about the thing that I've I've played. My reaction here though is to be like sort of darkly gleeful where I'm like yes, yes, we found Welcome we, we to found our hell. <laughs> it turns out there was a little weak point in the armor and like we found it and now like circumstances are just pushing the finger through into Patrick's brain and oh this is like Ren's uh, strategy you know well if you listen to the waypoint 101 and she yeah. uh, on Gettysburg and she describes how she approaches strategy games is to find the one weak point and push and now you guys are going to start sending me like well, look, maybe this is a better L desk for you. Like maybe well, the extra real estate. So is it I a standing L desk? But things all the stuff's not, more. I have a standing desk upstairs that I share with my wife. So oh, like, if I want to stand, I go upstairs. Worst decision I ever made when I, when I lived in LA. I was like, I want a standing desk and a standing desk, but I'm cheap. I'll buy one that you turn with a crank. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, no. that was that was a bad call. No. That was like, yes, I could adjust it with twenty minutes of furious cranking. I could like get that thing into a standing position, but then you get tired and you're like, you know, this is almost a standing position, and you're back to like, you know, okay, so we're kind of doubled over. But I think that's standing. Like my legs are straight, my back is not. Uh, but the other thing that furious cranking. All these things, yeah, like you just had to furiously crank. Uh, all these things, like these like monitor stands and such, and I started to come to grips with this with with uh, with with my monitor uh, arm. Is that you see, like mine came with this diagram and it showed like here's all the like places you can adjust it and here's the positions it can take and how it can articulate in those positions. And I was like, wow, you can do almost everything. No, what the diagram actually specifically showed was there were like articulation points that were active and then there were like positions it could sweep through, but it couldn't actually like be set to. Mm-hmm. Um there's some positions that you couldn't quite get to because of the way the different like arms fold up together. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I've made my peace with this thing. It's 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 really good. Um and it is it, it does do a lot of stuff. But there's a lot of places where I'm like, I would just like this thing to move over. You know, if this could move over like two inches to the right, that'd be perfect but it can't move over two inches to the right. What it can do is move two inches toward me. Yes. And then two inches to the right. So this, so this oh. is like, that is the core to the issue I've had. And like the, the fussiness that I've had over like settling on a spot for them is I, I can, I'm thinking like, Oh, I just have to move them. It's like, well, I move it back. It doesn't actually accomplish what I want. What I want is actually what you're saying is like, Oh, I need longer arms. Um, Like I can live with what I have, but like what I need is like the articulation in different spots. But like, that's not what, like at least the, the oh, stand no. that I bought is is made for. But uh, even even ones with the big like complicated like you know multiple like hinges and such, even there you're still creating spaces where it's like it can't turn to this angle in this position, and yeah. so you'll be sitting there being like, okay, so if I push the if I push the arm flush against the wall and then bring that one out at ninety degrees, and you're sort of like, and every single one of these adjustments requires like loosening it up and like sort of heaving it to one side. It's it's uh it's it's harder than it looks. You hey, like sucks. these things arrive as like this is just gonna work. It doesn't. What uh which ones did you get, Rob? Do you have? Oh well, we don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, King. <laughs> Let me see if I can pull. Rob's gonna consider if he wants to share. If I just want to, if I do, I want to. Do I want to show this off? Oh, sorry. I was looking at Ergodox, and that's wrong. 
that's not where God. I was looking. Uh, so yeah, I just I got a Ergatron mm. uh, monitor arm. It's my um, favorite transformer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's this guy. This one right here. Yep. Yeah, this is, Uh-oh. you know, I'm, I'm pretty oh, value-oriented, too. I'm pretty value-oriented as well. Uh-huh. The real value comes in uh, the sturdiness and it not breaking, yes. right? That's yes. the longevity oh, you talked us over your time. Ins- your installation of this. <laughs> right, where we didn't have a, we didn't have the, uh, we, we, we didn't have a um, There's a pin or something that was, like, right. coming out. Yeah. yeah oh, so it's I a wall to mount, too. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know what isn't a good sound is a huge, uh, huge bolt going into a uh, stud. No, <laughs> surely not. It's it's like, oh, yeah. OK, so I guess that stud is it's kind of taking a beating as I do this. That is wood like crunching as I do. <laughs> like, I sure I hope I'm positioning this in a good place and I'm going to be happy with this thing being here crunching. for a long time because uh, I'm, it's a very old building. I did not like the sounds that were coming out of the wood as the bolt. Yeah, pres- yeah. You, you, you never know like what's happened to this. What, what's in this stud's history? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it sounded a bit like wood splintering in a way mm. I didn't like. Uh, but thing oh, is, no. thing is, Monitor's up, solid. It's up, and it is. Uh, I I really like it, but there are just a few like dead zones uh, in where it can articulate that that cause some recurrent issues. But. Uh, you know, I think, you know, what can you really expect for hundreds of dollars <laughs> to put a monitor on? And well, and see, and that, this is the other thing, too. Here, here's the other like caution against getting like a big ultra wide. Those things weigh a ton. And so the minute you're like, I would like to mount that on a wall, mm-hmm. you just automatically have ruled out a ton of like right, reasonable you be really options. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. This was the okay. Well, this thing can this thing can handle the like forty pounds of monitor that's like hanging off the wall, oh like God. four feet away, um, which always feels like the laws of physics are being broken. Like, you ever think about how crazy steel is? Like, you just look at something and you're like, how <laughs> well, is how is that holding that thing up? It's so it's far also, away. It's also levers and hydraulics. Like that is that is the that is the that is the true power is the power of 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 levers. Levers. Yeah. I love well, a lever so much. And let me tell you what's exciting about this one is you have to adjust the mm-hmm. tension on it. And if you get the tension adjustment wrong or just like are absent minded and you forget that you're already exerting a lot of downward pressure to hold it in place. Uh-huh. Sometimes this thing will just whip up on you uh, during the setup phase. Wait, and you just got to. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah. the you have to adjust it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. OK, got it. Well, I'm saying there were some snags during the adjustment period. I'm saying like during setup, there were some moments where I was like, I think I've got this. You know what? I think I tightened that bolt enough. I'm just going to let this arm go real quick. Nope. You never shouldn't have have done that. Shouldn't have done that. (laughs) So this is this is why this is why I thank God I worked in a in a like a shop for a while. uh, And like have working in shop experience, because once you do that, you will never have a moment where you're like, I got this. You never do. You you never do. Or you do, but the one time you don't, you are fucked. You time, are to, gone. time to take both my hands off this thing with my head in its path of travel. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. yeah. No. That's how you get that's how you get got. That's how you're yep. No. Mm-mm. 
but yeah, pa- Patrick, I, you you have my sympathies. Like the, it seems like it should be so easy just to be like, I want these two these two monitors to go at this perfectly sensible angle. Um, yeah. and I think there's there's an argument to be made that I shouldn't have gotten two twenty sevens, and I should have gotten a twenty a twenty three inch on on one side. Mm-hmm. No. You disagree. No. It is the closest I have felt kinship with you, Rob, over these many journeys of things we've talked about, <laughs> the differences in which people may reasonably assume, like, how could these two people be such good friends? And we are. And be so far apart on so many things. But this, this thing, I see now you clearer, Rob. I see you clearer. Yeah. Wow. We're watching. Wow. <laughs> wow. Can I ever get Rob to... See me clear? I don't think so. I think that's against his uh, his own. Uh, no, I see. You cl- I see you plenty clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yo. The intonation. <laughs> uh, so, Patrick, I just want to talk. In, speaking of things that aggravate you, uh, mm-hmm. you did mention you were a little heated before the podcast about Sonic. Well, about there was Sonic? about what? What did I miss? What? <laughs> Uh, so what I'm gonna this conversation happen. I don't know if this will be up when um I uh when this podcast episode you know Emmanuel I don't know when you're gonna schedule this piece so you know maybe it's up maybe it's not um and I don't know when you're listening to this those all are on a different you know time scale but I was I've been writing this piece about uh uh Wada Games the grading company that um. Ha- you know if you want to be as the most cynical has deeply contributed. To the uh, explosion of video game, uh, like uh, collecting and sales prices, creating a speculative bubble. Um, and, uh, without getting into the specifics of like what I'm writing in that piece, it's just got me clicking on a lot of things related to older games. And this one that like really annoyed me earlier this week was that Sega is delisting a bunch of classic Sonic games because they just announced Sonic Origins. And Sonic Origins is like a collection of Sonic games that are going to have like like widescreen support and some other things that you know may or may may not be like good or interesting but in as part of that they're also like just straight up deli- like ahead of time delisting a bunch of those games released in a different re-release format on like various platforms um which is just irritating because like having just I'm not it's I don't even someone that cares that much about playing older games but I like writing about gaming history and preservation um right. and I just think it's like super shitty like, there's no guarantee that this new collection is as good or, like, right. it'll be different and bad in different ways. And I see nothing other than, like, explicit profit motive to just r- r- take those off, uh, encourage the people pirate them if they want that version. Because let's say through the, you know, through the widescreen support or whatever or the new emulation that they do, it introduces... I don't know. The game feels slightly different. And it won't bug 99% of people. But the one person that it does, it's like, well, then they can't purchase the old version of the game. And I just think that's a really shitty way to treat uh, like the history of, of games, but is, is in line with how games almost always treats its own history. Um, and Sega's not alone in that regard. Right. Yeah. I, I sometimes think back on, do you remember how puritanical in my, in my mind, I feel like a lot of games press started getting really puritanical about piracy. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because, like, I think genuinely a lot of folks were sympathetic because devs believed it too, right? That 
money was being taken out of their pockets by piracy that like especially on a, PC, a download is equals a lost sale or at least at least some fraction of a lost yeah. sale um and so like there was while there was never a lot of appetite for like uh DRM there was a real frustration with piracy and the persistence of it um you know in the in the game space and I, when I think back on like mid two thousands discourse, like I feel like, in general, a lot of the stuff got covered from the angle of like, hey, it's actually pretty good that uh, we're having so many of these more convenient formats kind of make piracy outmoded, um, because you know obviously it solves a lot of the problems of piracy. Uh, that now, you know, that, 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 that Jeff Gersman, uh, you know, monologue about you have to be, you have to be easier than free, right? You have to be, you have to be more convenient than free. Right. And I think like there was a, there was certainly a point there. Um, but also in retrospect, I do think a lot of the folks who were on the more like a lot of the a lot of the conversation that you heard coming from like within communities that like extensively pirated uh, about like this is actually like you know this is one of the only ways to make sure you can hold on to your shit like this version the stolen version is right. the only one that you can get that like you will own in any respect from the vantage of like the present i'm increasingly sympathetic to that right like mm-hmm. i like i think having made like having largely like won a lot of their war with piracy uh, and how widespread it was. It's been striking the degree to which rights holders have turned around and like kind of fumbled the victory, right? Whether it's like either everyone trying to run uh, some sort of service off the back of their own library or just like really indicating how little interest and appetite they have in supporting a back catalog rather than just like, repeatedly harvesting revenue off the the very most popular things they own uh, while everything else kind of gets tossed by the wayside. And even the popular stuff ends up kind of like this being churned for no good reason, except to try to get you to like cough up for Sonic again. Yeah. Um, it, it's just irritating because it's just, it's the industry just does not give a shit about its own legacy or archival or preservation. There's no. like no standards for that. And so you have folks like, you know, like Frank Sfaldi and the video game, like History Foundation, like essentially make it up, making it up as they go along. And, you know, there's some like museum curation stuff that's happening. But, um, you know, the fact that this is happening multiple decades into an industry means that so much has already been lost and will never be preserved. Um, and And even the fact that there are multiple iterations of like emulated versions of Sonic is itself like history and interesting. Yep. I was like, well, what did at different points, what did we... You know, you think back to 15 years ago, early, like, XBLA, uh, like, classic game ports. Remember all the, like, weird filtering shit they mm-hmm. would put on there to right. try and make the sprites look modern? Fucking, I mean, I thought it was novel at the time. I was like, oh, okay, sure. Um, and it looks like fucking garbage. It's just, like, ruining the gorgeous original art made uh, by those creators. And... The fact that most of that stuff doesn't exist anymore is, yeah, we learned that that looks like trash and instead maybe spend your time working on either accurate emulation or like CRT filters that try and recreate some version of uh, that, like the television technology at the time. But the fact that we did stuff like that, it's like, I think it's cool or should be cool that you could revisit those versions of games, whether it's 
I am somewhat sympathetic to the argument of like, hey, like we don't want to sell it anymore because like it's a bad version of that game. But when there's no other way to access it. And this is this goes right in hand in hand with Apple this week, like trying to sweep millions of apps off of the App Store that work perfectly fine but haven't been updated in a couple of years because they want their catalog to be like relevant updated apps. But it's like it's fine. It's done. It doesn't need to be updated. Right. Like it can just be. Um so it's not it's certainly not exclusive to video games, but uh yeah, just something that really really bugs me. I don't even really fucking like Sonic games, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think like Sonic Adventure. I think archival emulation and like piracy are like I don't know. I I have seen firsthand the way that people get very very weird the second any journalist mentions even emulation. I th- I mean, we've all seen it firsthand that it is like the the cultural tenor of the game space is very copyright holder protective in a way that is honestly kind of embarrassing at times to some say. Of like some of that's lawyers though. Like you work in media for long yeah. enough. You have been trained like, Hey, I mean, the line is usually at most media companies. Uh, you can talk about emulation. You can write articles about emulation. You can show art, they have screenshots and videos, but like when you start linking to things, like there's this fine line of like, yeah. If you enable people to do a thing. And so I do think there's some. Yeah, but I think but but there's people who will like not in the journalism community, but like in mm-hmm. the audience who will be like, why would you why would you link this? Why would you tell people about this? Why are you hurting mm-hmm. Nintendo this way? Well, that yeah. just happened to Kotaku, right? With um, yeah. yep. mm-hmm. what game was it? Uh, it was Metroid. It was Metroid Dread. Yes. Um, I was there firsthand and I can say that it was something else. Right, because basically when Metroid Dread launched, uh, there very quickly you could run the game at much higher resolutions and frame rates in emulation. Because sh- you know, n- not shocking that like Switch emulation builds off Wii U emulation, and also they're not tr- you're not trying to emulate like cutting edge console graphics. Like it's it's aging hardware. It's like it's not shocking that you could emulate that on your PC and like run the game really well. That's like worth that's worth writing about. <laughs> um, uh, that is like noteworthy, noteworthy and newsworthy. And I don't remember what exactly got them in so much trouble. Over it was that, that it was written. Just, that it, was uh, written. it was also linked. Yeah. Uh, there was a link in there, and it was that yeah. it was written See, at all. It was the thing that people were specifically. The links, the links is what get is what opens the crowbar to like causing more shit than like an otherwise innocuous or mostly innocuous article would do. The other thing that people were mad about is how recently it was it was written after the game right. came out. Um, people were like, how dare you do this? Cause they were, they were doing the, you're going to lose them sales argument. Um, yeah, Cause you won't, you can't just go to YouTube and immediately find like, like no commentary. Let's plays of people doing an emulated version of it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And like, and I think a lot of this has its origins in like, I, I, I do feel like early days of the internet, I feel like people genuinely did like the reason it's like you wouldn't download a car. Like I, I do think like we all had that moment in the, like uh, when those of us who grew up with the internet at this stage, like that moment where it's like, all this shit's just out there and I can just like try it out. This is how like my musical taste was formed by like people being like, Hey, you should download, download this on Napster and being like, that's good. That's good song. Na- Napster, like easy, accessible, usable emulation. And then, the ensuing uh, marketing campaign by the RIAA and the MPAA, where like you couldn't see a movie without seeing like a pir- like an anti piracy ad in front of it. So it's like access occurred right at the moment that the these various industries also realized, oh shit, we need to be telling people that if you pirate something, it's like smoking. But I remember some of those ads would also be like, you know, do you know how movies are made? Like 
There are so many people behind the camera. You see, do you even know what a key crib is, motherfucker? Do you want to put this person out of a job? Well, I guess download that movie. And that was the tone of like a lot of these ads. And like it works like to some degree. Um, Well, and then the minute these these fuckers like turn around and get hold of distribution channels, then they're like, but we know who has jobs and we would prefer it if they didn't. And like that's and that's sort of that's the uh, that's the other side of this is like a lot of it was a stalking horse for we're just trying to make it so that like it's viable to exist as a creator and earn a living in this space. And then like wind the clock forward 20 years. and It's like, actually, we just want all this stuff to be like sort of a commodity silo of like evergreen like revenue yeah. generators that we can just like charge rent on. Um, and then we don't need anyone to make new stuff and we can just fire them or like give them a pittance. <laughs> and that's like, you know, shout outs to Adam Conover, who was uh, testifying to the uh, FTC uh, the other day about like changes in the uh, like television and film landscape where the number of companies you can shop an idea to now is just a fraction of what it was even 10 years ago. You know, he's, right. he's, he's you're down to basically six main companies that you can like shop projects to. They have more public faces than six, but like effectively it does try come down to six companies. And so like stuff gets canceled just, like it may still be profitable, but not profitable enough. It would just be, uh, it is easier and more streamlined to cut these things down um, and become more risk averse, especially if now competition is really limited and everybody's sitting on like a vault of, uh, of content and proven properties. And I think that's kind of where we've ended up on a lot of the stuff, but, but it does. So it, it, it does come back around when I see people making this argument that like, it takes all of us to support humble creators like the Nintendo Corporation. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Uh, especially because, especially because, like, these are companies that, in many ways, do make sure that, with the exception of their own prized possessions and a few like major hits, they will kind of do everything in their power to bury or forget about any sort of mid-market thing. Uh, within a few years, and so like I like I've I've completely, you know, one eighty'd on this. Where where increasingly I'm like, yeah, I I think I think it's probably it's, I think it's a good thing that people are out there like breaking breaking DRM and like archiving this stuff in a way that's out of sight of and out of the control of the corporations who have the legal rights right. because they are bad stewards. Uh, yeah. like the cultural artifact. They're dreadful fucking stewards. U- Universal had a vault fire that they didn't even cop to how bad it was that burned through like like decades of music history. And they were like, we're just not going to talk about this. It came out years later that like, you know, the fire at Universal, a lot of masters were yeah. lost there and they're irreplaceable because they're old and the artists are all dead. Oh, well, <laughs> like no world in which is not better. If that stuff doesn't all get like looted the day before the fire and like taken online, that's a better world. Um, anyway, yeah. And I mean, it's I, less I think, tragic in the case of Sonic being delisted, but you get where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like I don't know. I think that this is not to not to beat this dead horse again, but I also think this is a conversation that like happen increasingly over the course of the next few years. As you know, for example, the 3ds 
the fact that the 3DS marketplace is shutting down. Yep. As someone who loves that fucking little, as someone who loves that little clam, where's that little clam? There it is. As someone who loves this little clam, as someone who loves this shitty little egg. Um, when it's holding up her 3DS. A Nintendo 3DS, yeah. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, it's a new Nintendo 3DS XL. A please, new one, please. Wow. It's a new wow. Nintendo 3DS XL. Please refer to it by its Christian name. Um, <laughs> new? The new Nintendo 3DS XL. Um, stupid. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's a huge worry that I have and a thing that I think about like pretty constantly. I don't know. I, I just think piracy is cool. <laughs> I don't do, it's one of it's one of those things like shoplifting where for me do I shoplift personally? No. Will I encourage other people to shoplift? Hell yeah. Yes, definitely. If you don't if you don't know the motherfucker who owns that place or you do not see the same person working the register every goddamn day, shoplift from there. <laughs> Fucking take that shit. You don't know that guy personally? Take it. Gone. Would I shoplift from my bodega? No, I would not. I wouldn't I wouldn't even dream of it. But you'd encourage someone visiting to shoplift from your bodega. Like me. So like can you tell me where your bodega is? <laughs> I was like, never, hey, yeah, but when I'm I'm out there in June. Just you leave like, my you hey. leave my you leave my fucking king alone. I'm just no, saying, no, I'm just I, saying. I listened to this one podcast that yeah. told me. <laughs> I don't see this person every day. Look, there's a lot of lot of people have their their bodega folks. But that locally owned grocery store down the street from me, like stay the fuck away from there. The Patrick, point I don't know visiting. Him. Rob, I don't hey, know him. Rob, we could use some steaks. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I stand by but, my but shoplifting all, point. But I think we can all agree. Syntax. Winona Ryder did yeah, nothing yeah. very wrong, and it was actually mm-hmm. pretty hot mm-hmm. that she did that. Um, yes. and we she should have had it. What the fuck are you talking about? So before you were born. Uh, Winona Ryder was an up and coming star um, in a number of like defining early 90s roles and then genuinely I think her career trajectory is altered by the fact that she got caught shoplifting and everyone was like there's this moral panic like what does it mean that she was shoplifting and it's like she was very young and it was like (laughs) I'm just gonna steal some shit and like, like that shit's easy. Yep. But there was believe it like because it was the 90s and like we were at the start of a real cultural backlash. We didn't recognize until years later. Um, yeah. Winona Ryder was like just an entitled Hollywood elite who thinks they're too good to pay for things at the checkout counter. Um, and God. it's like, no, she was a kid just like boosting some some shit. Like, who cares? Also, also boosting just- is expensive shit, too, which is great. It was like a sax, sax Fifth Avenue. Wait, was right? it? Hold she on, she hit hold up on. a sax Fifth Avenue. It was like a fucking designer well, shit. Was, that's sort of like that's mid, nice. right? Nice, like mid market. Sax is mid. What are you fucking you talking about, Rob? I, I, the only thing I'll say, my my only contribution <laughs> to stealing as a practice is every, and we've talked about this a little bit in the podcast before, is that every single time I walk into a Walmart. I dissociate instantaneously, just gone because nothing casts a shadow in Walmart. And so nothing in that fucking place feels real. 
every time is what I, I tell the cops every time they pick <laughs> yeah. me up. Every time I would go to Walmart with my friends who were like, let's go to Walmart for fun. I'd be like, please don't do this to me. I don't want, I want to be present in my body. And they'd go, no, 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 let's go to Walmart for fun. We would walk past the fucking playing cards and my brain would be like, you can just take those playing cards out of that fucking box. You don't want those playing cards, but it would be so easy to just take that deck out of that box and put it in your pocket and walk the fuck out. And it would do that for every single object I saw on the goddamn yeah. shelf where I was like, it was like, all right, let's plan 18 hundred heists in this shadowless room um i don't like walmart well she did steal a lot <laughs> yeah it was sick <laughs> is it rob sick. climbing down it's, from it's, his, it's his particularly because it's like a fucking the bougie's ass shit it's like uh, even more so steal this from is very them. funny <laughs> like, this is very funny <laughs> uh Theft is good and probably good easier her. than you think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about the of convenience store near my elementary school where a bunch of kids learned to shoplift, uh, which it was like it was three blocks away from the elementary school. Nobody had money, but that store had candy. And so it was just... Uh, Man, that that guy must have hated everyone uh, who who came through there. But there was a yeah. um, there was a a uh, vending machine that everyone stole from at my college, and we were all like, "They're I mean, we're paying too much fucking tuition, so it doesn't fucking matter." Exactly, <laughs> we exactly. are, and that is we had a stick. We had a stick called the stick, and it was like it would reach mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. to the top, so you can knock shit out out from the top row. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I remember it's, every time they tried to raise the laundry uh like oh prices at the university, <laughs> it was like it was like just a brief whiff of like it'll be nineteen sixty-five here in a second, motherfucker. <laughs> like you're I'm sorry, you want this to be seventy-five cents a load? Okay, fine. Let's see if those security doors will hold us back. We will we will storm the security doors of the dean's office. Truly. Uh, there is there is no more dangerous group of people than a bunch of college students encountering a 20 cent price increase on any object. Yep. Uh, it's really funny that that vending machine they ended up stopping they stopped stocking the bottom two rows cuz those were too easy to get. They want you to make it work for the stealing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they 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 really raised the skill floor yeah, on the stealing. <laughs> oh wow. Oh. You know, I but I like I just to this day I do not know why Winona Ryder was cascaded so much when Kirsten Dunst was never held to account for the fact that she burned uh, Joe March's manuscripts um, in Little Women. Sorry, I'm getting the reality and fiction in confused again, women? but I think we can all agree that <laughs> what? Amy is history's greatest monster. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, no, right? That, that, kid, that kid sucks. Devastating. Fuck devastating. We got such an intricate tour of Rob's mind palace for a second. Like, over the course Look, little of those women, three over the course of those three sentences, Rob fucking cracked open his dome and was like, come into my mind palace. 
<laughs> for just a moment. St- still <laughs> mad about Amy burning Joe's Joe's stories. Is that I'm mad about after Amy the burning Joe's stories. And also the line that you slipped in there real fucking quick, Mr. Zatsny, was um when you said who I did I now did I didn't get reality and fiction confused again. <laughs> Just a lot of insight into the inner machinations of a one Mr. Zachney. We've been going for an hour. When was Whoops. Little Women? Whoops. This what? podcast is an hour old. We need to take a break. Sure. Yeah. Congratulations to this podcast. Good job, podcast. Happy hour. To, uh <laughs> All right, so we we need to take a break and then eventually discuss some video games, but I'm out of... Well, that's wrong. I was about to ask if this was a pint glass day or a vase day, because I've been trying to... You know, Ren, it was going to be a pint glass day. I was going to be like, I'm going to have that that little Pilsner, but you know what? It might be a... You know, it's a Stein day. It won't be a vase day. It'll be a Stein day. I think that's 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 is, my promise. Is Vaz the the top end of that scale at this point, or <laughs> I think there's, there's a shameful quality of the Vaz? I would say is the, that's the that's the one thing. It's like I'm not sure in terms of volume, the Vaz is that different from the oh, okay. Stein. Sure, but I think it says a lot when it's a Vaz day. That's like when that's there's a spout feeling. that you can pour directly into your mouth. That's uh... it's like it's like, a, it's like the bones or no bones day of being a piece of shit. It's the it's the day. Is Rob drinking out of a vase today? Oh. All right, we'll be back after this. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. You know what else is back? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, go for it. Now I'm actually here. What's back? Overwatch is back, baby, and it's oh, exactly the fucking same. <laughs> is that good? Oh, no. It's no. the same great taste people love. No, it's the same do, bad do taste people? that they fucked up over the course of several years of bad will formation. It is... Overwatch 2 is one of the most staggering failures of imagination I've ever encountered in my time playing video games. I am legitimately astounded by it. That's really disappointing. I guess, as I guess we can tell, because you said it's one of those staggering failures of imagination, which does indeed sound disappointing. Um, can you like sort of like so? Overwatch Two is in a beta. With, yes, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the, the PVE element, yes. which was like when they announced the game was like the big thing. It's yeah. like, hey, of course there'll be new multiplayer stuff, but like, look, 
Wouldn't this be fun in a more single player or cooperative environment? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. None of that stuff is here. But no. I wonder if you can walk us through a little bit of like where has this game gone wrong in the yep. last couple of years that then leads to like, yes, it's a beta, mm-hmm. but that the clearly a response to the beta like uh, lends to some pretty bad uh, indications of where the final game yep. might end up, whether that's this year or next. So basically, if you look at like when Overwatch releases, right, it is a 6v6 team-based shooter. It kind of, it in, to some degree, kind of kickstarts an entire genre. It is a game that is so, like, revolutionary, or, like, revolutionary. It feels revolutionary on its release and basically restarts the, like, team shooter genre, the hero shooter. People like me played it, and I don't, pl- like, play games like that. Like, it, re- it captured an enormous right. audience that was, like, beyond, like, a subgenre. Like, I mean, yes, it birthed kind of its own like genre out of stuff that was already happening, but just like, it's hard to, given the way that this game has fallen out of favor since it is now difficult to remember. Like yeah. everybody was playing. All of my friends were playing over. Like I, that I played 50 hours of a game that I don't even really like playing those types of games because it was fun right. and different. And everybody I knew was playing it. Right. So there are team shooters, which well-established genre, and then there are hero shooters, which feels like descendants of MOBAs, right? And so Overwatch releases as the hero shooter. The 6v6 hero shooter releases with 21 characters that fall into three distinct roles. Support, DPS, and tank. Those roles are distinct, sure, but individual characters can drift between them in certain ways, right? There are some characters who can fulfill multiple roles at one time, and individual kits are really, really unique. So, for example, um, Torbjorn, DPS character whose whole thing is building turrets, right? Feels totally different from, like, any other character. Um, As the game goes on, the 6v6... uh, Also, sorry, the other important thing about this history is the game begins with open queue. Open queue means that anyone on any team can play any character as long as no one else has picked it. So for example, you can have five DPS characters on one team and one tank. You shouldn't. It's not a good or effective (laughs) team composition, but it is an option for you, right? Then as characters come out, they add 21 to 31 characters over the course of about three years. Um, Then in September of 2019, they introduce role queue. Role queue was one of the biggest sea changes in Overwatch because role queue made it so that players could not play the specific whatever character they wanted to as long as no one else had picked it. Instead, when you queue for the game, you queued as a specific role, either tank, DPS, or support. The problem was that most of the game's heroes are DPS heroes. And so the fact that it's evenly split 2-2-2 meant that the DPS queue, which is where the most popular characters are, became extremely long. So you're looking at like 10, 15, 20 minutes waiting to get into a game as a DPS player. But if you're playing support or tank, you can get in a couple, right? That's the first thing. The other thing that happens is the meta starts to shift and the actual character balance starts to shift back in 2016 with the release of Ana. Ana is a support character whose whole thing is that she has a sniper rifle that can either hurt enemies or heal allies depending on who you shoot, right? This begins one of the toughest shifts for Overwatch as like a piece of game design. Um, 
Because basically there's this fundamental question at the core of hero shooters and at the core of like team-based games as a whole. How do you make supports feel engaged? How do you make supporting your teammates feel active? Because a lot of support abilities, you're looking at buffs, you're looking at healing. How are you, how do you make players feel like they're actually doing something? Mm. This, so I have a question about that as well. Yeah. Um, was it always, when I think back to, for instance, the medic in yeah. Team Fortress, yeah. one of the things that a lot of people liked about the medic was it is a way you could play a game with your friends who like maybe have chops as more like Twitch based characters, mm-hmm. but like you, you was, you could play a more like positional game right? and you just need to be like reasonably situationally aware, but you yeah. didn't need to be making like flick shots. Right. Now, Medic as well had the kit changed to create more activity. But the most famous example of this, I think, was um, League of Legends, mm-hmm. where they laid down as a dire- design directive that they wanted to, like, I think Sona was, like, the first one that they really targeted, mm-hmm. which was, like, we do not like, uh, they had this concept of anti-fun or, like, null fun or something like that, where it's, mm-hmm. like, support abilities are anti-fun. Uh, because they don't they, they don't like demand or reward uh, right. like high skill play. And I do remember a lot of folks like in that context even were kind of like support doesn't necessarily need to be as fussy as mm-hmm. the other classes. That's mm-hmm. kind of what the role exists to. That's who the roles kind of exist to fulfill. And I'm curious like was there a clamor in Overwatch for like we want support to be more active and demanding? In some places, yes, specifically the pro scene. Because the uh, the other thing to note is that so much of Overwatch's balance has been shifted around the professional scene and the professional meta because of Overwatch League. So basically, anytime the pros complained about something in mass, they got what they wanted, regardless of whether or not the general player base actually wanted it or the more casual player base wanted it. So the competitive um, and specifically professionals uh, absolutely dominate the conversation around how Overwatch's like, game develops over time. The other thing is that I want to get to that and the idea of the, of the skill floor and the different like, styles of active play in a second, because I think that like that is one of the fundamental problems with like current Overwatch as like a piece of design. So Anna's whole thing is that she can deal damage, she can deal as much damage as she heals. She should be. And a good Ana player will be putting as many DPS numbers on the board as her actual DPS characters. Every single support that comes out after Ana has that same basic rule. Bridget should be doing as much DPS as a DPS character. Baptiste should be doing as much DPS as a DPS character. Um, oh God, Moira. Moira should be outperforming all of the DPSs in terms of her damage output while also healing everyone. And so basically what has happened is that the role distinction has kind of started to collapse because once you have that much damage output from all of your supports are supposed to be doing damage all the time and kind of their support is the side of their kit, it is basically like, okay, your support should always be hitting people and sometimes you can kind of heal someone, right? The other thing that has happened is that as the game's damage has increased for supports, the pros wanted more damage for DPSs. So DPSs got squishier, which means that they die faster, and they got more damage and more uh, hit scan weapons. 
Hitscan weapons mean that there's not a constructed projectile in the physics of the game, and instead, if you click on something, the bullet will go exactly where you click, as opposed to having to, say, for example, lead a shot. Overwatch has gotten increasingly more hitscan weapons, because that is what pros liked. Uh, and over the course of its uh, development, especially like DPS heroes, um, let's think. Ash uses a hitscan weapon, uh, Widowmaker uses a hitscan weapon, Soldier 76 uses a hitscan weapon, um, Baptiste, a healer, uses a hitscan weapon, he uses a hitscan assault rifle that will just it's absolutely also- fucking shred people. It's very funny that there's also a lot of folks who will be like, projectile weapons are actually the trickier thing to yeah. like. Yeah. Projectile based combat is is uh, like it's different skill, but like it's also it's it's something worth prioritizing because like uh, I mean the rocket being a, a quintessential example in just about any shooter, right? Yeah. Like a lethal a lethal weapon, but requires way better sense of timing and like geometry. Uh, than like a hitscan weapon. It's also, here's the thing about projectile weapons, they're less consistent. And so for professional level play, what you're trying to do is get maximum consistency. And maximum consistency means relying on hitscan weapons above anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you also have um, what's happening with the tanks. So there was a problem, problem uh, in Overwatch 1 where basically... Tanks were too tanky, and it made the game really slow down. And so, they increased the damage for everyone. And then suddenly, you get into a point where you have the double shield meta, which was defining Overwatch Overwatch 1 for a really long time, where basically you had two tanks who put on shields, and you spend your whole time trying to break the shield. Uh, And you also had a ton of crowd control abilities. Crowd control abilities refers to stuns, slows, knockbacks, things that can basically not kill someone but can take them out of the fight for a second and crowd control abilities were distributed across supports dps and tanks this is the current state of of overwatch one and as the game increases in damage the importance of healers goes down because if you are able to one shot someone Mm -hmm. with a headshot from across the fucking map it doesn't matter if they're being healed exactly you can't heal a corpse unless you're mercy which is why Mercy became absolutely despised in the professional scene because she had a full team res. And so Mercy was eventually reworked to have her full team res removed and her res became a basic ability that she got to use every like, I think it's like 15 or 20 seconds. Which basically means that they absolutely kneecapped her kit. She doesn't get to do anything anymore. Having a Mercy on your team is basically useless unless you're using some very specific tanks who uh, Mercy will pocket. But otherwise, you don't want a Mercy on your team because her damage output is so low that you might as well just not, not have someone there. Because all of the other supports are able to output so much damage that she's just not relevant anymore. Uh, um, just, by the way, I think I'll call out here that... Uh, Maddie Myers and Nico Deo were across the Mercy beat for a while, and it was worthy of a beat uh, for a while. They're tracking like what was happening with this character because there's such a weird intersection of like there was the what she represented in terms of game design mm-hmm. uh, thing, and I think Nico is one of the first people to really articulate the, this this tension, which is like the pros don't like this type of action in the game, but it's fun for people who are just 
there to have fun. Right. And it's probably, it's kind of dangerous to just completely like say, you know, we're going to let the competitive side dictate a thing where to take away something that's really popular. Uh, And then also on top of that, you have the like mercy was the, if memory serves in that original design, the most like typically femme, girlish yes. of the heroes in in overwatch and so to a degree there was a there was also a bit of like a really male dominated competitive scene being like get this check out of my game which yeah. in some ways reflected like real dynamics in competitive scenes yeah 100 percent um real that quick, is the other I just need to crack open this pulp daddy no worries <laughs> sorry this what i don't rob those words strung together Made me feel uncomfortable. I just, I want to <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, sorry. I'm happy to pause my Overwatch 2 rant for a second and my fucking brief history of Overwatch to Cut ask on, what I'm a need you daddy to, is. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to need you to excerpt yeah, this a sound clip. Yeah. Give that to me. Oh, you want it. Okay, okay. yeah. I'll make I sure want. that. It's just a juicy, <laughs> hazy New England IPA. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it, got it. Out of context, Rob Zachney Twitter account incoming. Um... This is all to say that the state of Overwatch 1, by the end of its life cycle, was a game that was defined by extremely high DPS from every character and a constantly decreasing time to kill. Um, Overwatch begins with a pretty high time to kill, uh, and by the end of its lifespan, um, or at the end of its primary update span, its primary patch cycle, has a pretty low time to kill. Not quite like Call of Duty low, but like we're talking about like half the time to kill on your average character from what it was at the beginning of the game's release, which is a massive, massive change. DPS is extremely overprioritized across every role. That is the end state of Overwatch 1. Overwatch 2 makes every single one of those problems significantly worse. It is legitimately impressive how much of an L uh the every single character rework in this game is the role we work reworks massive l the individual character reworks astounding l's the new game type everyone i know hates it it is in incredible um what they've done would you like me to explain the changes and then put them into this context or do you have questions I have new game type. Uh, yes. Let me get. Yeah, maybe I would start. Maybe yeah. I would start there because maybe that can help you unpack some of the other stuff too. Yes, and the new game type is actually a great example of 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 the current problem. So, first of all, Overwatch Two goes from six v six to five v five, and removes a tank. And so every team is now one tank, two DPS, and two supports. Is because they're st- they're still they're riding and dying by roll queue. They are riding and dying by roll queue. Yeah, uh, and have cut one of the tank rolls. So, by the way, Inc., if you want to play tank right now, hope you're excited for a, for a ten to fifteen minute queue time. Same for you DPS players out there. Hope you're ready for nine to fifteen minutes. Gorgeous. Um, they are riding and dying by roll queue, and so. The reduction from 6v6 to 5v5 and the redu- the removal of one tank has made the game significantly scrappier. No longer are there two tanks whose job it is to basically protect um, 
if you break down a team composition in Overwatch 1, right, what is the utility of having two tanks, two DPSs, and two supports? Your first tank, their job is to do CC. So their job is to crowd control. They're kind of a damage sponge. They use their big, meaty body to take a lot of bullets while they do crowd control. And that's tank one. Tank two has a big shield or something that can protect individual allies. Zarya's bubble, Reinhardt's shield, etc., etc. That tank's job is to basically be the thing that stops the supports from being fucking murked. You have one DPS whose job it is to put damage on the majority of the enemy team. Their job is to focus down tanks, maybe get the other DPSs down if they can, uh, maybe take out some supports, but they're mostly just there to add damage to fights, to team fights. And then you have one DPS who goes behind and their job is to flank and take out vulnerable supports and DPS, or they do it from some other vantage point, like for example, Widowmaker. Widowmaker's whole thing is that she looks for one opportunity and will take out a support at a key moment, right? Great and cool. These are distinct roles that each character can fill in a variety of different ways. Also does sound pretty prescribed, just in terms of like what the dynamics of these encounters are. Yes, that is that is what Roll Q did. Yeah, um, that is what Roll Q did. Uh, <clears throat> and then in Overwatch Two, now five v five, everyone does so much damage that the role distinction has completely evaporated. Everyone is always fighting and always scrapping all of the time. And you're having fewer 5v5 team fights and more 2v2s, 3v1s. It's it's a lot more chaotic because people are responding at different rates, people are dying so fast, and people are dying not at the same time as one another. It's not like you have a big team fight where you wipe everyone out. It's more like, oh, two people met each other at this one point and killed each other. Ugh. It's just fucking chaos. It is it is incredibly chaotic, which also makes it really fucking hard to keep track of everything. The new game type that accompanies 5v5 is called push. And the way that push works is you basically, there's a robot that sits in the middle of the map, and if a team gets to the robot first, the robot will start pushing a barricade, will start pushing a block to an endpoint, right? Both, if you kill that team the barricade remains where it was, right? Where the robot pushed it to. And then the other team can then take control of the robot and put and have it go the opposite direction and push its barricade, their barricade to a different amount. And so at the end of the game, whoever pushed their barricade the furthest wins. Okay. That's that's basically a TF2 mode, right? That's the that's the cart mode. Yeah. 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 These maps that they added are winding. Uh-huh. They like they don't go. It's not like you push it down a straight line. You push it down a winding S curvy mm-hmm. tunnel or series of tunnels that there are connection points across all of them. So you are being fought from every direction all of the time as you are pushing. In these basically like everyone is always flanking. It is not just that there are a couple of DPSs looking for a flank. Everyone is always looking for a flank at every moment in time, including the tanks. Because the current thing that's defining Overwatch 2 is they boosted the damage for everyone, including tanks. And so Arisa, who was a very specific character in Overwatch 1, Arisa wasn't great, but she was extremely situational. 
not stellar 99% of the time, but there was that 1% of the time where if you had Nerissa, you win. You just win the fight because, you know, that's her whole thing. She's a situational character. Arisa is now just a dive tank who can out-damage basically anyone. If you 1v1 an Arisa, you will lose without question, which means that she can not only dive tank, she can also flank by herself. So you're over here fighting four fucking people who are all like doing their own shit and shooting you in the head. And then suddenly there's an Orisa behind you and your whole team is disrupted as you have to suddenly pivot to dealing with this dive tank. Every fight is extremely, extremely chaotic in Overwatch 2. And all of the character reworks have only given people more damage. No character reworks have actually changed the utility of people's kits. They've only removed utility and added damage. Because the other big change from Overwatch 1 to Overwatch 2 is the fact that DPS characters don't get crowd control anymore. So Where's crowd control coming in? Tanks. Mm-hmm. Tanks are the only, only characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is why it's so much scrappier. Because the there are two characters, there are two TPS characters with actual crowd control. Those characters are um, Sojourn, the new character, uh, also known as Widowmaker76, uh, and um, May, who is now DPS. Uh, if people who originally played Overwatch 1, you may remember May as like a tank slash support character. She was like a defensive yeah. character. Um, not anymore. She is now considered a DPS Um May has a slow on her primary fire, which is like a cold beam. It no longer freezes people solid, it just slows them. And Sojourn has like a slow field that she can create that does damage to people as well. Those are your CT- those are your DPS crowd control abilities. That's all you get. The tanks get all of the crowd control. There is one crowd control support ability, and it is Anna's. Anna's crowd control support ability is she can still make someone go to sleep. Uh, with her like sleep dart um, every 12 seconds. So when we're talking about like things feeling scrappy, like what, you, like what that sounds like is that there's not gonna be a lot of structure to the encounters. No, none, zero. Right. And this is because this is what you're describing there kind of reminds me of like one of the things that more than anything else got me to turn around, like walk out on Battlefield 2042 mm-hmm. or whatever the most recent one was. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, you know the one we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was this notion of like you can see how they get to like, we like the sort of the chaos and the like, you can't just post up and like fight a positional game head on a swivel. You always got to be ready to like clutch it out at any moment. Mm-hmm. But if every single position is like threats can come from anywhere, this encounter can happen in any direction. Right. The space no longer has a story that it tells tactically. Like there's yeah, exactly. no longer a like, okay, here's how we here are the different solutions to this problem. Instead, it's like, Almost deathmatch vibes. No, that like, is what it feels like. That yeah. is the only thing Overwatch 2 feels like is a deathmatch. Uh, who can kill people the fastest? That is the team that wins. Right. Without a doubt. And also, killing people the fastest does not equate to the most damage output. It equates to the most headshots you're putting on supports and uh, DPS characters. Um, because that is the only thing that matters. Um because like I said earlier, the DPSification of every role has just increased the general amount of damage across the board um, in a way that is really not 
stellar to play. Um, and I also think that the, the Overwatch's answer to the question, how do you make supports feel active, is astoundingly bad. Um, because what Overwatch lacks, and Overwatch 2 especially lacks because they took out some of them, are system mechanics for specific characters. System mechanics is also a fighting game term, basically refers to, uh, if I remember correct, I'm, I believe I'm using the, the term system mechanics correctly, basically a character-specific, like, entire system. So, for example, um, in Valorant, when Reyna gets an assist or a kill, an enemy spawns a soul. Reyna can then use that soul to activate her abilities. That's one example. Uh, another example is in Guilty Gear Strive, there's a character named Happy Chaos. Happy Chaos has a gun that has six bullets in it and a concentration meter. Those are his system mechanics, right? And system mechanics are ways to make characters that would, on their face, not be technically difficult to play with your hands, have a lot going on and have a lot of like management to do or have to like think through problems. This is League's answer to the question of how do you make supports feel good is, like, you give them system mechanics. Uh, my favorite lead character to play is Senna. Senna's whole thing is that when allies kill minions or enemies, it spawns a soul. When Senna takes that soul, she gets a stacking buff over time. So Senna is a support who grows as her allies do through this specific system mechanic. System mechanics can get as complex as, like, some games have, like, characters who are playing their own fucking rhythm game right. over in the corner. And, like, if that person plays their rhythm game good, they will be doing well in this fight and everyone will be having a great time. In that Dota 2, uh, Invoker has a spell system where he, instead of only having four abilities, he can have up to 12. Yes. Invoker <laughs> is who I was thinking of, actually, when I was, like, thinking of realizing this fundamental problem with Overwatch. Overwatch does not have any characters with significant system mechanics. It's Symmetra, kind of. Torbjorn, kind of. Everyone's system mechanic that has one is like, do you spawn something? Cool. But there's no interplay of abilities that isn't just, are you shooting someone good? When asked, how do you make all of these characters feel unique? Overwatch decided to make their guns feel different as opposed to giving them different play styles. It, yeah. It's a massive L that got worse with Overwatch 2 because they, they, they sanded all of the edges off of these characters. Every single one. And it is just a also, guess what? Bastion's back, baby, and he's more overpowered than ever. I have never seen a character so overtuned in a video game than the way Bastion is right now. It is astounding. Remember how Bastion could turn into a turret and yeah. then shoot you? I liked mm -hmm. that a lot. I liked mm -hmm. liked posting up as Bastion, not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, do you remember how his, I believe this is correct, uh, his ult was he could move around while being the turret? Mm. Turned into a little tank, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's just how he works now. He's just a little, Just he just can be the little tank whenever? Uh, it's on a cooldown, but no, he still has that's the not same his damage ult anymore. Out. Yeah, he has the same damage <laughs> output, and he can move around. Uh, and also, his walking around form is stronger. Uh, like, as, like, just, like, a tinge uh, weaker than Soldier 76 uh, in terms of the power of his assault rifle. 
Yeah. Uh, and so then he can turn into a little tank uh, that does obscene damage uh, and is a tank. And also he loses his head his head hitbox, so you can't headshot him anymore um, when he's in tank mode. Right, so you got like one week to play this game. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. um, and also they gave him a new ult. Uh, which is a drone strike. Uh, he has like a three mortar strike that, uh-huh, it's the best alt in the game. Uh, it is fucking obscene. Uh, it will kill an entire team like it's nothing because it fires extremely fast. The only way you know you're about to be hit by is if you stop looking at the fight you're in and look at the ground to see if you're in the radius of the alt, which, by the way, has three shots. Um it's really cool. It's really cool that Bastion has been made basically uh, required. Uh, if basically the other team has a Bastion and you don't, you will lose the game. Rip. Sorry. Yeah. Unless something is going horribly wrong. Later, dog. Healers, the damage output in the game is so high that there's no point healing. There's just base. Like, I could do. There was a game where I did 13,000 healing as Moira. But you're filling a bucket with no bottom. And also, no one felt like I was healing. There right. was one game where Hanzo was like, why aren't you healing me? And I was like, dude, look at the scoreboard. And then I pulled it up, and I had done 9,000 points of healing that entire game. And like 10 minutes in. Uh, that is like entire characters' health bars multiple times over. And this Hanzo was complaining that no one was healing him. We were. It just doesn't matter the second you get shot in the head. You can't outheal it. Um, it really does sort of seem like the long-term conversions of Overwatch with Overwatch 2 is like, what if this just weren't a hero shooter? Mm-hmm. Like yep. it's like, man, don't you don't you hate what this game is? Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. The utter lack of system mechanics is the most astounding thing to me. Just every character feels the same. There is is a hero shooter. And this might be my tactical shooter instincts talking. And Overwatch is not a tactical shooter. It's not. They're two wildly distinct genres. Of course they are. There isn't a character who has smokes in Overwatch. No character has the ability to control sight lines with smokes. Yeah. In the entire game. Know what else Overwatch doesn't have? An intel character. There is no character whose job it is to gain intelligence on the other team. It doesn't matter. The amount of roles and also character concepts that have been left on the table is astounding to me. It is incredible, if I'm being honest. Um, it's wild. And the fact that who is the landmark hero of Overwatch 2? Sojourn. Sojourn is the landmark hero of Overwatch 2. They were like, well, finally, we've we've worked so... By the way, do you know that Lucio's hair isn't actually hair in Overwatch 1? Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a foam headpiece. Because they got so many criticisms about how poorly they had made black hair that the lore explanation for it was that it was actually a foam headpiece the whole time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> just a side note, just wanted to slip that one in there. Um, so they added Sojourn, because they were like, we finally added a black woman to the game after 32 characters. She's the flagship new character of Overwatch 2. 
Uh, and her whole thing is that uh, she's a DPS character who has an assault rifle and a single shot weapon that kills people instantly if she shoots them in the head. That's her whole thing. She's literally just what happens if you combine Soldier 76 and Widowmaker. She has a cool slide move. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It is an embarrassing failure of design. It is. It, and she's fun. She's fun to play. She feels good to shoot as. She doesn't feel good to shoot as in the video game Overwatch. Because the video game Overwatch 2 feels bad. Yeah. As anything but like a mechanical exercise. Maybe the PvE will be great. The PvP won't. At least if not if they continue the path that they're on. They would need to fundamentally rework half of the characters in this game to get it anywhere it needs to be. Well, that sounds pretty dire. That's <laughs> like... I had to get that out of my system. No, it's like, <laughs> it is... It was not... I hadn't fully processed how much Overwatch evolved to not be the game that everyone fell in love with uh, when it launched. Um, and then Overwatch 2, yeah, wow. It sounds like they're just codifying the absolute, like, uh, worst things about the direction they've gone. And one more thing. And one more thing. It is astounding to me as like a piece of narrative design how massive an L Overwatch turned out to be in the in the long run. Because Overwatch's whole promise was that it would be a hero shooter and they would build the narrative in comic books and in all of these places that were not directly in the video game. It is wild to me how nothing every character in that game feels. Just nothing. Like like pieces of cardboard, yeah. and the most the most grim example, of course, is Farah and Mercy. And um, this is like the whole thing was like people were in the community were shipping Farah and Mercy for a very long time because those characters had mechanical synergy with one another. When characters have mechanical synergy, they will be played together often, and when characters are played together often, it is good if they have voice lines together. Overwatch understood this and gave Farah and Mercy a ton of on-screen chemistry and a ton of voice lines together. The community was like, damn, it seems like they're dating. That would be cool. Uh, and then the writing team behind Overwatch was like, what if we made Mercy and Genji fuck? Because Mercy helped make Genji's robot body. And so what if we made those thing. two fuck? And he likes that. Yeah. He does Famously, like that. he, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, what if those two fucked? And they were like, great idea. It, it is an astoundingly fumbled bag. It is, it is wild to me how little and how non-existent the characters in Overwatch feel in comparison to other games that have come out since. Yeah. Valorant has been, like Valorant, the tactical shooter, has done a better job of getting me invested in its characters in the year in, in the two years that I've played it than Overwatch did in the five years since its release. It is miraculous how badly they have fumbled the bag. I feel like even TF2 did a better job. Like that, this is what they were trying to crib from, right? Like, right? I like. The meet the series, and then all the like little they were they were few and far between. But those comics and like those characters, I feel 
like even for the small amount of time that I played like Overwatch, like th- those felt more clearly defined. And like it just follows that mechanically they are also becoming less and less clearly defined. Yeah, this is so in in the draft I'm editing, uh like often it's it, it's you're always sort of left in a weird place with like a beta where it's like you kind of know like well it could change but also it's like it's a beta like there's a lot of decisions that have deep grooves now in the way this this whole thing is structured it's foundational and so it does get hard to be like you know this could entirely they could turn this around uh but like what a rotten cracked foundation to try like to try to pivot mm-hmm. off this um that sounds well, and also i mean the, I, I i wanted um like some of the stuff that was coming out of activision blizzard in the wake of the workplace stuff was also that like the overwatch 2 team specifically was constantly like at codex uh like requests like doing all this like what like it sounds like this project in particular was micromanaged by codex that doesn't like you know i'm not excusing like necessarily like where they ended up but it sounds like it sounds like this was a shitty project to work on yeah um and was made worse by management decisions that you know you can probably see or at least informs like how something like this so the fact that at all right before like you could like did there need to be a sequel is one question of like a patch yeah yeah i was gonna say it's like it feels like overwatch 2.0 the 2.0 patch of overwatch not but yeah but that that's like that's classic like it is activision's model is like we need a we need a premium retail product in the stores that people are gonna buy the type of game overwatch was is yeah it's like there's (laughs) there's a reason there's no team fortress 3 like you're just not going to move the you're not like it's gonna be hard to move that entire audience onto a new thing it's gonna be even harder to build a compelling case to to do that um yeah, it does not surprise me. But well, and also like, you know, the need for execs to feel like they're doing something. So it's like <laughs> you know, here's here's a successful here's a successful product. It needs our leadership and guidance to develop. Uh that also does not surprise me. Uh that you know, there's sort of this this track record of interference, but yeah, it sounds um it sounds wretched. It's something you were talking while you were while you were describing the decisions they made here though. You know what I'd be curious about? I don't know how big the wargaming games still are, uh, like World of Tanks and shit. I know they're huge ages ago. We don't talk about them much. I don't know if they're still. They're still. They're, they're still very big. But I'm curious, like, because my experience of like playing World of Warships was interesting, which is that one, it's slower paced. Um, just by definition, your fucking boat, right? Like even the fastest boats are pretty slow compared to a shooter character. Uh, <laughs> but two, most of the ships, like, uh. Like, that is a game where TTK is very high for the most part, right? Like, like with the exception of, like, battleships firing the biggest guns in the game on much smaller ships, which will, like, in one or two hits, like, demolish them. For the most part, it is a game of, like, you have to land shot after shot after shot after shot in order to, like, pile up damage and get Mm -hmm. the kill. And I think about, like, I don't know how big the competitive scene ever has been for those games, but I do kind of wonder, like, if the popularity of these things is that, like, everything's kind of slower and chunkier. And it is a bit, like, less, it's it's a little bit less built along the values of a uh, arena shooter 
you know, or something founded in the arena shooter uh, space or on, on the on those foundations uh, that stem from like the nineties. Uh, and I'd be curious, like, because I feel like those games in particular never really got discussed along in the context of what was happening to multiplayer shooters in like on consoles and PC. Mm-hmm. I actually am always kind of curious if like some of these things about letting the pros steer, you know, steer the ship. I feel like Wargaming has always had that reputation of like, that's a, I, I always felt like the game had a reputation for being kind of dominated by, by casuals, right? It was a, it was a shooter for, for dads and shit. Um, and I, I do kind of look at it and I wonder if some of the popularity, popularity there is down to the fact that like by design, these are games where it's actually very rare that one, you will end up in a scrappy scenario where all hell's breaking loose in 360. Like it's a, they tend to be games that Mm -hmm. unfold across some like pretty, pretty rigid structure. And two that like, there's a lot of like pop, pop, pop before anyone actually gets knocked out. Um, and that seems like in so many shooter, like so many shooter series, there's this pressure to reduce time to kill in some ways or this, or this, or this, or this pressure, I guess, to make it, maybe make it swingier, right? That like headshots need to be like absolutely devastating, but body shots should not like body shots should do shit. Uh, and so all these things that again, like what should be rewarded is a really narrow archetype of player. And if the game doesn't reward that narrow archetype, then ergo, not a good shooter. Yeah. I'd be curious for people who like stayed abreast of like world world of tanks, or I think warplanes is its own thing, but like world tanks or warships. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious uh, what people's experiences of those are. Cause I, cause I do, they're the, they're the two games that sort of stick out in my mind is like having been really kind of separate from most of shooter design discourse in the last like 10, 15 years. Um, I don't know if that's accurate, but I'd be, I'd be really curious to hear people's thoughts. Cause like, wow, does it seem like overwatch kind of got hijacked by people who were like, you know, it'd be better as if this game was more traditional shooter in the first place and not really yeah. as much of a hero MOBA derived thing uh, as it is. Yeah. Well, that's, it is. it's weird. That is, that is a bummer. Um, also a bummer. We actually have to go to a meeting here in a few minutes. Uh, and so it has been delayed. If you like wanted to oh, do wait. like by an extra 30 minutes, so if you wanted to do a little mailbag, we got a little extra runaway. Just a little mailbag as a treat. No. Sorry about the, the 35 overwatch minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes over. Uh, people look, people in their feelings about that game. Uh, people had passionate connections with it. And then, boy, did that game break up ugly with them uh, over the past few years. Uh, where, yeah. Um, I just want to call out real quick. I'm still kind of coming to grips with it myself. Um, Dune Spice Wars. Hmm. That is the uh, what is it? Sh- uh, Shiro Games uh, take on, on Dune. It's an RTS based, uh, you know, in the in Dune universe. And what I would say so far, and Ren, I think you've played a bit as well, but 
I played a lot of their previous RTS, Northgard, and I liked it a lot. This very much does feel like very Northgardy in terms of how they've designed it. What I mean by that is Northgard is an RTS, but I always felt like Northgard was an RTS that owed a lot to uh, what are kind of increasingly inaccurately called Euro games uh, in the board game space. Uh, and that term's kind of fallen out of favor, but like basically what sets these things apart is they're more about like worker placement and resource optimization rather than like direct conflict. And that is from what I can see of spice wars, very much the, uh, you know, lane it's, it's occupying in. And that's what, that's what Northgard was all about. was like, it was much more, the entire economy is a bunch of things sitting in tension with each other. Uh, one resource, it, like building up along one axis consumes resources along another, but there are so many resources in play that all these things turn into uh, things that be sort of cross balanced, especially as you expand and upkeep costs like swing wildly. Um, and so like that, it, it became there were RTS elements where it's like you still have to mass troops for an attack and like catch the enemy by surprise. Mm -hmm. But a big part of Northgard was just making sure that the economic engine was turning over uh, appropriately. And I feel like Dune is just very much that uh, right. in they, terms of how you're playing it. They mark it as a 4X RTS hybrid. Yeah. Like that is how they have been advertising it. It's like a, it's a 4X RTS hybrid where spying and investigation is just as important as combat. It's yeah. as... It's uh macro focus right like yeah those are the two sort of if, if we're and i think using very good classic at, rts uh nomenclature this is like super macro focus because you're focusing on the building and resource end of it right and they're very, i would say they're very good at making macro um easily manageable is the way i would put it like mm. it like i think one of their real max is that their games don't really feel frantic, even though there's a lot of plates you have to keep spinning and a lot of things you have to keep checking in on. Mm -hmm. It rarely feels like, ah, uh, my, my APM was just too low to win this game. It often is more <laughs> like, oh, you didn't notice that you were like, you created a giant, like, like leaking sieve in the middle of your economy uh, <laughs> until it was too late. You, you had, you had 10 minutes to notice that problem. <laughs> Uh, you just didn't because you're sitting on like a huge reserve of this resource. Like I keep bankrupting myself because like early in the game, I just got, I made a money and then later it's like everything costs money. And so I just haven't noticed that like it went from being positive 36 <laughs> money a minute to like negative 40. And I'm like, Oh, well now what do we do? I'm just uh, laughing because this this feels like it fits in with the Halo Wars <laughs> Rob Rob sewing <laughs> like lots of buildings. Let's go. Uh, this 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 game is very sewing and reaping. Uh, <laughs> I, I I will say. I think I think it looks cool. I think it's I think it's a really pretty game. Uh, mm -hmm. it's really really simple, straightforward graphics. Uh, like the desert looks great. The the precursor to a worm attack looks really cool when the when the sand begins to like Ooh. jump and vibrate and oscillate under your troops uh is cool i not gonna lie i think i was probably hoping for something it felt and i need to play more maybe i'll start to get this a little bit more but i was hoping i would feel something a little more specific to dune um and this feels more like a pretty good board game adaptation of dune but like does it feel like the world not really 
and 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 some of that is just you know at the root of Frank Herbert's conception of it is that like, hey, there's never really a multi faction fight for for Arrakis, like right. the guy the the emperor keeps being like, all right, you get Arrakis now, and then shit goes bad. And then it's like, well, you get you get a rack. Well, you now. get it now. <laughs> but you don't get but you don't get what this game sort of starts with and, and what you see in um you know, even the Westwood games, where it's like, you know, what if it was a full full on war between all these different factions? And again, mm-hmm. there's even the sparseness of factions, right? Where it's like House Atreides, House Harkonnen, the smugglers? Who are these guys? Look, they got some abilities. Smugglers. You remember smugglers? They were huge in sure. uh the the Dune novels. I just can't think of them right now, but I'm sure they were there too. <laughs> uh, and then the Fremen, who like wait, they what are they called are... the Union? Hmm. Uh, maybe that's a Dune 2000 thing. Oh uh, no! So the 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 the, spa- the the Navigators Union or whatever. Yeah, there was some. That's there a... was a third faction in the Dune 2000 game. I can't remember. Right. Which one but, that one but, was. But that's but. the thing, right? You sort of struggle to be like, well, who else is in the world of Dune? And so you're like, ah, the Fremen are, you know, out there as a faction. And it's like, well, they're kind of, but it's more like a people without a nation state. And so it's kind of weird that they're here too, playing the same game as like everyone else. Anyway, it's a harder thing to adapt than you would think. And I feel like this game is kind of on the horns of that dilemma. Uh, when when I play it, it's House Ordos, and it doesn't exist in any of the books. So never mind. <laughs> Good name though. I mean, Ordos, it's a forty k yeah. ass name. But, yeah, yeah, it know, is. <laughs> whatever. Um. So yeah, that's that's the that's the strategy update. Uh, Kato, there's a game we didn't get a chance to talk about last time. Uh, Stacklands. Oh yeah. Speaking you of to wrap up Stacklands. Speaking of macro. Uh, yeah. What's very funny is that the description of this game is a <laughs> uh, uh, roguelike deck uh, card game. Okay, we can just but, go to the mailbag. But <laughs> no, it's it's. I played it. It's not. That's a bad description. Right. The, it's it's kind of a joke. Like what it really is is um uh the genre. Huh. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> it 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 is a um. It's it's worker placement and um, kind of resource management game with a very uh, kind of cutesy art style and chill vibes uh, like soundtrack. Um, but it does, you know, it does these fun things where uh, basically you start with a card pack, right? Like like a little physical manifestation, like like in game manifestation of like you know you're you're going down to your local store and cracking open a booster pack of magic and like you click it a bunch of times and all the cards come out and the cards are different things. Like one of them will be a villager. Uh, and then the others are like trees, a rock. You put the little, you grab the little, uh, villager and drop it onto a different card and an interaction happens. And then after there's a little like bar, a timer bar that fills up. And after the interaction is done, you get some new thing. Right. Um, and part of the like early stuff in the game is, figuring out what possible interactions are. It's kind of funny. It's just like stacking things and being like, oh, a bar appeared. Something is happening here. Let's see what comes out at the other end. But you also um, have to balance that with, uh, it has a basically like a, a moon cycle is what they call it. And that's a timer after which at the end you have to feed every human that exists with food. 
And so if you don't have enough food, humans start dying. Um, you also have a card limit, like a limit on the amount of cards that you're allowed to like have on the board. And that includes things like this random bear that showed up and is trying to kill you. Uh, it's very funny the way that like animals move around on this board. Uh, they just kind of hop, but they don't like interact with anything other than like your humans. So if you want to just move your little human to like the other corner and wait for it to hop across the screen, you can avoid having to fight them because mm. you're probably going to die unless you have trained a villager by stacking a villager onto a sword, which to make a sword, you have to stack a, uh, two stone and a stick uh, on top of each other. But to get the stick, you have to stack yeah, we know how a villager works. on a... <laughs> yeah. Um, and it... It has um a very fun kind of like the the like combinations can get like f- they're they're like fun to f- figure out right and like there are certain things that pop up where you like don't expect them you're just kind of fucking around and it's like oh that's that's a neat uh way to um create this new thing and like it's one of those like it hits that brain of like organizing and like you know like. The, the making piles on your desk, like, part of your brain, uh, which I'm, I don't know if everyone has, but, like, a thing that, like, really, like, gives me a lot of pleasure is just, like, getting a bunch of things that are very desperate organized in a, like, aesthetic manner. But then also the, like, I'm I'm juggling, you know, you're, you're spinning a bunch of plates at the same so time. So that's, okay, so that's, that is the one thing is, like, I do get kind of, like, idle or almost like clicker vibes from this and it was yeah. just like the, the like plate it's, spinners can like we when we play dice legacy sure where it's like a big part of this is like it's simple it's all simple enough but like the challenge is going to be we're eventually just going to overwhelm you right and i'm curious is this more like about overwhelming you or letting you like it's more about just come to terms with your tools i, I think it's yeah. more macro heavy it's yeah. like the like you you don't really necessarily have a specific goal other than to survive and like obviously you want like my impulse in these types of games is to want to see the end of the tech tree to see what all the things that exist are um but apart from that if you like play smartly um eventually like you get to learn and like this is part of the roguelike part of it is that like by like moon like the 10th day or whatever uh sometimes a, a portal will appear and through it comes a fucking goblin so you have to at that point you know okay i do have to build towards getting a sword ready to train one of my villagers to be able to fight shit by x day but at first like you don't see those things right like so that's part of like learning the game is like learning the kind of cadence of like I should be, you know, getting to being able to produce iron by such and such a time. Um, and it's less about being overwhelming as like you're the, 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 the plate spinning is overwhelming and more like it throws curveballs at you that are like, Oh, I, I wasn't sure how to plan for this. Um, but the like element of randomness you get from I, a, a thing I forgot to mention is. I mentioned the the initial pack that you get, like a little card pack that you get that starts the game. There's a, a, a economic system here, right, where you can sell 
cards to sell food. Whether, like every card has a cost that you can sell it for. And then with that gold that you receive, you can buy new booster packs, right? So there's never not like a source for like the base materials, even if you like run through them because they are um, uh, not infinite. You know, they're, they're a finite resource. Um, but so one of the ways that you can play this game is to try to make an economic engine that works fast enough that you can like kind of boost your way through. Um, but then you also have to like make sure to not to sell everything because you need to also feed your humans, right? Uh, and those That's are kind the- of the pl- the plates that you're spinning more is like the balance between how quickly you're trying to gain tech and how quickly you're trying to um uh how you're like managing how many humans you have available to you. Yeah, I think one of the things that I struggled with because I also played a good amount of this game, not as much as Kato, but enough to be like, oh, okay, I'm just not built for this. Cause I would build, I would build things in the tech tree and I would just not have food. Uh, <laughs> or I would just, the other, the, the thing that is actually a little bit frustrating is there, you certain you have to unlock certain card packs um, through play. And one of those card packs is like, oh, this is the food card pack. Until then there were multiple runs where I just got unlucky and I wasn't getting berries and berries are the thing that you need to feed your humans in the early run. Uh, and I just, like, there's, like, three runs a row where I just, like, didn't get enough berries to be able to feed one person for very long. And I ended up just, like, taking the L, and it was a pretty big bummer because um, I felt like I didn't. There wasn't mm. much else I could. Yeah. It didn't feel like I did something wrong, and it felt more like I just got unlucky and didn't get enough berries to be able to, like, sort of survive the early game. Yeah, that does sound kind of awkwardly tuned, but... It does sound. Uh, I need to give it a shot. Basically, I yeah, mean, it just yeah. sounds like a game I'm gonna hate. It's like, it's also it's get, it's five bucks. Like yeah. this uh, sock pop yep. collective makes a game every month, and um, sometimes they really hit. I re- I really liked last year's uh, Tover Blade I played, which was like a a tactics uh, fantasy tactics game that they made that was very simple and is similar. It's like simple but like deep enough for like. All right, I'll play this for eight hours and enjoy my eight hours with it. Or <laughs> like, I get, I hit like seven or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my like this the games like this tend to just strike at my psychological vulnerability to be like, am I just doing the wrong thing here? You know, it feels like if I just try one more run, I'll, yeah. I'll do better, and then I'll figure it out. Yeah. It's like, oh, I. Oh, uh, now I know a way what around I'm there. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll solve that. Exactly. Uh, all right, we can dip into the question bucket uh, before we bounce here. Uh, Tyler writes us about psychoacoustics. Oh my God. I had a possibly interesting <laughs> bit to add with regards to skepticism around psychoacoustics. It's actually critical in any reproduction or recording effort, never mind the design and manufacture of quality equipment. Like any sensory experience, the way we deal with sound has more to do with our brains than what's actually going on in the space. I had an especially good teacher in the classes around the physics, uh, uh, around the physics and the hard electronics of audio, and he shared a few really good examples of what this is. Here's one: if you play guitar or have ever heard someone uh, someone time one without a tuner, you've witnessed a psychoacoustic phenomenon in action known as beat frequency. They will play one string open and one below it, held at the fret that makes it the same note. If they're off by a bit, you'll hear a tone that fluctuates at a frequency equal to the difference between the played notes in hertz. They then adjust it until it disappears. This tone does not exist and cannot be measured or seen on the waveform of a recording. That's just a really useful and odd artifact of our perception of sound. What? 
That's good. This this bothers me a lot. This is that like now. this is like pink or magenta doesn't have a wavelength territory that we're entering here. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, like I'm I'm kind of shaken by that. Uh, one more thing for what for what it's worth from a guy who's worked with and around some million dollar pieces of gear. Uh, 50 year old uh, Nave console used to record pet set. Uh, Pet Sounds, uh, Ah. painstakingly retrofitted for full Pro Tools automation without sacrificing a single original part of the signal chain. Damn. Uh, The absence of convenience or practicality is actually a pretty good indication you're starting to get into the real good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen, Rob, I want to, I'd like to, I'd like to begin, I'd like to make a note on my Robert Zachney defense uh, initiative. Rob, I've seen a lot because I, I I keep track of I treat I keep track of the community I keep track of the comments I look at the things. That's your first mistake. I n- listen. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. Um, Are we? <laughs> all right. Well, in Rob's defense, I have seen a bunch of people be like, "No, Rob does good." Rob's the thing that was sold to Rob was the correct decision. The receiver that was sold to Rob is legitimately the best in the fucking biz. He was not scammed. And I just wanted to say (laughs) that I have seen that sentiment enough where I am willing to say that I do not think Rob has been scammed. There are, I I should have also been clear about something. I knew a bit of what I was going to get into with this guy. Like you're I making did a not, choice. So you said this was not your first rodeo with this man. It's not um, like I hadn't heard of Anthem or NAD or something when I went to the store. Like I, I, I was fully. When you like, opened your arms to this experience, you were opening your arms to this experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rob Zachney, a river to his people. Exactly. Uh, in this case, uh, he was river. ready to go swimming. Hey, you know Take what? Though? The o- you know, so he wanted to get out of the river and he wanted to go into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Just Rob's like the end of Alan White. People. Uh, by the way, MK just texted me and she's like, That's I'm not entirely point, sure that thing about beat notes is entirely correct. And she's like, we might need, you might need to, you might get some corrections on that. Wow. Great. Uh, <laughs> oh, great. Like, Would love to get some more emails about psychoacoustics. Let's just, let's just keep going. It's corrections um, all the way down. <laughs> But I will say, like speaking of being, that's like, what you have the river, microphone for, Kata. It was like that's how you correct the mistake. That's the whole, you did <laughs> right. this on the last did the, podcast. Yeah. Rob spent forty five minutes explaining. Uh, however, the the thing I will say is thank you, the Batman, for justifying <laughs> the ridiculous decisions I made about the. I thought the that sound was a system. user. I was like, <laughs> no, no. I'm talking about Robert the Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah, yes. Robert Pattinson. Yeah, that, that movie, whatever you think of it, was tremendous to experience in a theater, and you probably have the closest of any of us. Dude, to we, we were we were floored, and it was like. The oh, sequence with the Batmobile, oh, like, has its moment. Can yeah. we? Yeah. Can yeah. we? All yeah. right. I'd like to. Ta- I'd like to hijack this podcast. <laughs> Recently, Kato and I rewatched the Batman mm-hmm. with a group of friends, and let me say, I learned that I really like the Batman. I I left that first viewing being like, yeah, it was the Batman. I left that second viewing being like, holy fucking shit, that it's was the, the Batman. Batman. <laughs> I you know love what? the movie The Batman. It I deserved really... to be three hours long. I was like, <laughs> I don't know about this. And I was like, didn't feel like three hours. No, and no, also, I don't, I don't, those, mm. plot, those plots developed appropriately. Okay. Well, no, no, I'm not. Gonna. I'm still a little 
on yeah. some of the mm-hmm. ending, but not every movie needs a fourth. It act. was it was a very fun. It was very fun all the way through. It's I think. thematically that's the problem is that I can't. I do listen. I the shot. Mm. I I just want to the shot where fucking Batman pulls out the flare. And he's walking through the fucking water. Is it's it's gorgeous. I will like the cinema. Like it is a the f- cinema is a visual am, fucking delight. I am so yeah. pathetic. I'm gonna be like, I need the UHD Blu-ray for this <laughs> because I need to see it without any streaming compression on the oh, on, yeah. on the darker parts. Oh of the frame. yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, so An yeah, overhead no, shot where they're flocking to him like fucking like like Pied Piper and his fucking rats. It is. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. That movie is so fucking funny. The movie is so fucking yes. funny. Uh, yeah, it's... You can go bad, listen man. to our... What episode was that? I forgot. It is a delight. Go back. Now I can it's finally there. go listen to it. Yeah. Uh, I if hope everyone they... is appropriately uh, praiseful. <laughs> yeah, I was... I was we liked it. Yeah, yeah, ultimately it was a positive. Yeah, there was like issues with it, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson is having so much fun in that movie. I'm so happy for him and how much fun he is having. It's- the difference between the Batman and Morbius is that Robert Pattinson had had a lot of fun talking to a VTuber and Jared Leto did not understand what VTubers were. Well, I'm not sure that <laughs> Robert Pattinson understood what a VTuber... Like, I want to make sure we're going to be clear. I don't know that I my takeaway from... I think... Sir Robert is just a little more nimble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. In the in the press process, Jared Little did seem confused though in that fucking interview. Yeah. I mean, P- Pattinson's the uh, clearly a much bigger, straight up nerd. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's a the, weird. The little he's a weird. Yeah. Kills me. Yeah. yeah. Oh my but God. I mean, like he like there were like multiple times that like he made some like JRPG. I mean, like he's yeah a certified capital N uh, nerd, especially in that world. Um, is he the guy who likes to lie? Is he the dude who who admitted during interviews or he's like he's like sometimes people ask me things during interviews and I'll be honest, I just make up fucking stories, dog. I don't <laughs> I I am a liar. That's um, a professional that liar. Right. I will I believe that it's Robert Pattinson who just it fully admits I mean, it's to lying in interviews. He said that he got in trouble from the studio cuz he kept stealing socks and then I got a note <laughs> during the production of Batman that Oh, see, forgiveness for Robert Pattinson, but when Nona Ryder has to to the island of Elba. Let's go. Meanwhile, (laughs) Kirsten Dunst is still out there. Oh, my God. Not not having been brought to justice uh, for. uh, Please write in, Miss Dunst. Um, Oh, okay. I think we have a very good answer about the guns in Halo. Let's go. I'm going to go to bed. Write in about this. (laughs) I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to go to bed. That's true, but you can't help yourself. Uh, So, (laughs) Jeveridge writes in. How many times do I have to say I was wrong? (laughs) No, hold on. Hold on. So. Uh, Jeveridge writes in. Okay, I was Spartans run part. really fast. It makes their bullets go faster. <laughs> uh, she solved it while she was in the shower, and no, she will not be taking questions at this time. The explanation is as follows: "Quote: Us humans are weak babies who can't control recoil. 
In the hands of a Spartan, mm. the MA-5B rifle becomes a perfect laser beam of bullets, piercing shields by simply hammering the same spot with pinpoint precision. But Jess, I hear you ask, I can aim I can aim my gun wildly in the game, and it still takes down uh, Sankili shields. Yes, because you, like me, are a weak human baby. The game <laughs> handles the Spartan part and fudges it to make you feel good. Uh... And somebody else did write in. Uh, Char- uh, Charles wrote in the 762 uh, NATO and Kalashnikov cartridges are notorious for their effective and felt recoil, especially when fired full auto. This means an unskilled gunner would have to sacrifice accuracy for full auto or speed for semi auto, giving energy shields more time to deal with the hits that do land. Spartans have enhanced strength, strength and reflexes, so much so that they can perceive time moving at a slower rate, as evidenced by the ODST gym incident with the Master Chief. This means that Spartans have the extraordinary ability to control their weapons in full auto, allowing multiple hits to the same area of shield in quick succession. This overwhelms the shield in the target area and allows penetration before it can recover. This and the fact I'm sure the quality of ammunition used by the UNSC is much better and reliable than what an insurrectionist could get. I'm not a firearm expert. I just play a lot of Tarkov. Uh, anyway, <laughs> thanks for the podcast. You know what? I can buy this. Yeah. Master yeah. Chief's out there with an automatic weapon. And in Master Chief's hands, it's just a drill. <laughs> I'm going to bed. I've heard the new episode of that show is pretty good. I've been keeping up. With, I'm like one behind. Really? Episode six. Episode six. Yeah, dude, we're gonna do a podcast at the end of it. So you no, no. I mean, we've, I've also ten. been keeping up. I was. But okay. I'm, I'm Wait, surprised. I'm surprised. Keep, I have to keep up. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh yeah. R- Ren. I was. I, I was a, a little bit surprised when there was an entire episode dedicated to how wrong you were. And like, I thought it was yeah, like unnecessary yeah, for the like writers' room and producers to come out and like quote you and be <laughs> like, "These yeah. weapons are the exact same." Uh, yeah. So, if you want to skip episode four, we'd all understand. Yeah, don't watch that Just, one. So, the fourth uh, episode is the Ren is fucking wrong episode. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. I think. I think. I'm. I think that there is an entire episode worth of waypoint radio like entire episode of waypoint radio worth of fucking corrections on 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 my on my halo gun thing (laughs) the amount of segments is inspiring just sign up to waypoint plus upcoming podcast we'll be going through all those emails in detail Oh my God! Oh my God! Well, I stare out. Welcome to the corrections cast. Can you now write in on any correction from the last five and a half years of Waypoint, and we will address your grievance now? Actually, be pretty funny. Well, I stare at a distant tree branch. (laughs) Shame. Jared writes in. This is about. So we also had a weird technical solution to some issues with displaying Gettysburg on stream. Mm-hmm. And we had to unearth some ancient mouse pointer options. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that nobody in living memory has seen. <laughs> trails, uh, yeah. Oh, mouse trails. Jared writes in. Patrick is right about Ren. Why can't you be more like Patrick? Look how right Patrick was. <laughs> uh, if I had water in my mouth, I would have just sorry. destroyed this brand new monitor. 
So Patrick is right about mouse trails being a feature that was never removed oh. and probably should have been. It was a, it was originally to help with passive matrix LCD screens. They were so awful and slow you needed it and didn't look weird in person. Apple did have it as an option, but by the mid-1990s, passive matrix LCDs were only for the cheapest of laptops and completely gone by the late late 1990s. And yet the the settings and windows are still with us. I want yeah, I want to say that one of the my last experience with mouse trails was like my my dad had one of the very earliest like uh, I am IBM ThinkPads. Do you remember that lineup? Of, oh yeah, like yeah, and like the way you controlled the mouse was not with a trackpad, but was with a little a little nub. Like if you can imagine, oh like, yeah, an, er- an eraser on a pencil. That's how you <laughs> moved the mouse around. And if I remember correctly, because again, like he was a salesperson and like always traveling. So they like bought one of those very early when they had stuff like that available. I think that just had trails on like by default, like uh, um, that's the last time I remember seeing them before fast forward 25 years later. And I'm Google searching forums to try to figure out how to get that on for a stream. My image of laptops in that era is the tiny little like red nubbin in the center of the mm-hmm. keyboard and then a screen that with like any light source within three miles of the screen becomes inc- completely opaque and washed out. Yeah. Uh, oh that's, my that's my image of like the, the laptop. controlling a mouse that way was horrific. <laughs> um, all right. Last email comes from Jackson. Jackson writes, so I've been thinking about this exchange on the podcast that occurred a few episodes ago. Ago, uh, Rob had a quick aside about whether someone should get into vinyl. To paraphrase substantially, he went, you should, but you shouldn't. It doesn't make a difference, but it does. I apologize if I've completely butchered Rob's word. I think I might have said that. Uh, but regardless, he's right. I definitely said that. Uh, I say this not only as someone who's steadily accumulated records over the past 10 years and advocated passionately for the format uh, to friends and loved ones, but perhaps a lot like Rob as someone who relishes experiences, hobbies, and indulgences uh, whose unique quality is difficult to express but deeply felt. For instance, over the pandemic, I decided to get fancy with a myriad of things. I signed up for a bougie artisanal coffee subscription where I'd get a pack of the finest roasters across the country shipped bi-weekly. I bought multiple mechanical keyboards, each with varying switch types for working, gaming, and writing. And yes, when an artist was releasing or reissuing an album with a special colored vinyl design, I jumped on it every single time. I also got into buying video game soundtracks on vinyl. The restock of Stardew Valley was well worth the wait, though I sense its music is not what people cherish most about the game. Now, I'm very cautious about how one can be influenced in making unnecessary purchases based on exaggerated claims of a superior experience. I could have been just fine loading up on Folgers from the grocery, typing away at the generic Logitech my company sent me, or settling on the endless jukebox that Apple Music supplies for about $10 a month. Wow, did I I write this email? (laughs) No, because here's here's the turn. But I don't. The joy of these slightly extravagant but inessential indulgences, and even the joy of justifying them to skeptical friends, is some of what makes life worth living. And I'm not embarrassed to say that during a lower-than-average day in 2020, when things seemed like they would never get better, knowing a bag of fancy coffee beans would be in my mailbox (laughs) was enough to convince me that the next day was worth seeing. 
and with it a warm cup, a new record on the turntable, and the click of a new blue switches as I typed an IM to a good friend whom I couldn't wait to see again. Blues? 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 Really? Blues? Blues? Wow. Okay, sorry, Jackson. (laughs) Wow, these people write the most heartfelt letter we've gotten in ages. You should unsubscribe. You should unsubscribe. Yeah, let me see if I can refund them. Uh, yeah. This all brings me to my question. If you had to give all give up all but one of the niche artisanal enthusiast things you struggle to justify to your friends, what would you keep and why? What you define as enthusiast can depend on the person, but here's a quick list of examples. One high-end sound system, two craft liquor, three exotic cheeses, four home theater setup, five, any product that has a generic, i.e. Kirkland brand equivalent, but you gotta get the good stuff. <laughs> All the best. Isn't that everything? Doesn't Kirkland make everything? Okay. Well, does have does owning an espresso maker count? Yeah, that's that's one. Okay, it's probably probably that. That's the thing you you would part with. I love my keyboard so much. (laughs) See now, this is it. This is is the rubber meeting the road. I can go to. Okay, here's the thing. I live within five feet of a coffee shop. I do not live within five feet of a keyboard that feels good. <laughs> a keyboard. That makes Kyle. a lot of sense. It's important you use it every day. You might not have I coffee like- every day, but I do. Okay, well, uh, it's it's important for your body to not get hurt. That it that it work good. I don't know. God, I've been hurt typing. You have to come up with what's the thing. Yeah, no, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. What is the thing you need to keep when all your other bullshit has to go? All your other little indulgences have to get the fuck out. And you get to keep one little thing, a little luxury that you're just too deep into, but that brings you joy. What does it? I feel like certain things I'm I'm actually questioning whether certain things count. Like the does the like two or three film cameras that I only use on vacation count? Is that is it about price? Does it have to be pricey? Because those are I think those were cheap. I think, I think there's price and difficulty. I think both like Okay. Difficulty's the, up there the, with the film stuff because I have yeah. to like develop it and shit. But it feels like not the right thing. I feel like in my life it's really just coffee and like I don't know. I think coffee. <laughs> so how yeah. so how involved does the coffee thing get? Like how like I mean, you know, where I've are you gotten, sourcing your beans these days? I mean, I Or is it more the preparation? It's more the prep stuff, right? Like I mean I do yeah. like I get like Stumptown usually. There's a nicer. Um uh I also like uh Counterculture uh, mm-hmm. beans are very good. Um, I think it would, I think that's that's I think that's it. Just because it's kind of it feels like the only thing that really fits. If you're making me choose between that and like the photography, I still think coffee wins out because I'm basically self medicating at this point. Uh, yeah, but I don't have as many things. I feel like like this is more. This feels more like a, a Rob tailored question in general right oh, I, I feel, feel like this applies to Ren as well right uh, right Ren already gave that's the thing where I, I, I struggle is like even the thing that I, I could 
it's like I have like a an ever increasing library of like horror Blu-ray and 4Ks. Like I'm at like what I last counted, like you know, like 150. Like it's not nothing. So that's but one. also, <laughs> but but also, I only purchase those on like the Target two for one sales, <laughs> and then just spend a hundred bucks then. Right. And then I, and then purposely the way I do it is that usually the stuff I want is schlocky. I arrange on the target two for one sale. Um, I, uh, arrange low to high and then just, and then work, work my way up on purchase. So it's like even the thing that mm. it's like, ah, yeah, that thing, that thing, the gremlin thing you can't give up. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm still applying all of my like, I am cheap as fuck principles too. I think, so, like, oh, yeah, I a, thing, a thing that I'm realizing does video games count for us? I don't think it can. No, I don't no, think you it get can. too much. That's for free. her job. Right, but also, it, in job. a world where we wouldn't and we were still into games, is that one of the things that we would have to no, choose between? Just like just like playing like buying like big blocks of video games. I, I don't I don't know that that <laughs> not enough. Even if we got no. really into it, you know, you were like getting the like old I mean sure, stuff. like yeah, if you were like buying <laughs> I yeah, I don't like really I don't know, like so- Buying every skin in Fortnite or something. I, you know, I guess. I don't know. Here's my meta also, theory. Oh, we do have it. legitimately, Rob, at this point, one minute. You've burned up that extra 40 minutes. <laughs> Meeting can wait. Wait no, we can't. We've got a minute. Five more. So land the plane. Um, as, as the man once said, it's, this is my goddamn show. And boy, did that line go over poorly at the time. Uh, anyway, a little shout out to old one-up uh, fans. Uh, anyway, Patrick, I have a little meta theory about you. Okay, yeah. Your luxury thing is bargains. Sure. Like, it mm. takes a lot of effort to be that cheap. Interesting. <laughs> like, it is, like, it is, you cheap. sit there I and you snipe things. And you're like, here's, like, here's the discipline I will follow. I could just get this thing. I could afford this mm-hmm. thing and just solve this problem. Mm-hmm. But my joy is going to be getting it for what I should, like, for less than I should be made to yeah. pay. Yes. And, like, that applied across a life is an awful lot of effort and patience required uh, to get that little bit of, like, yeah, look at this thing I picked up for. That's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. That's why, I, like, I give it up on like my kids and stuff like that. Like, I don't apply. You gave up on your kids to myself. <laughs> you gave up on your kids. Wow, <laughs> wow. And that's such a good note to end the podcast. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I didn't get to go. You didn't get to go. I didn't get to go. Oh, well, Rob, go. Yeah, it's the high-end sound system. I would <laughs> keep that. Yeah, yeah, uh, you did go. You did go. We've we covered over multiple podcasts. Yeah, main, yeah <laughs> right. I mean, that's right. Uh, I would go similar lengths for for a few things, but the sound system. I, I think my my justification is this though. Um, the sound system is more important than the the screen for me. Like it, like good sound system, and if you're watching on a laptop screen. It'll still feel like big and like cool and impressive. Same isn't true necessarily. Like it just it it does it, for me. It hits very differently. Uh, the other thing is home theater system that can double as like you know creating beautiful music in your home at all times. Like that's that's great. That's that's so much pleasure that it can uh, like provide every day uh, in a variety of ways. That like even exotic cheeses can't quite. You can always listen to some nice music. Sadly, we can't always just be like, I'm going to eat a big block of cheese. It's not advisable. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Waypoint. Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people follow you? At Patrick Klubik. Ren. 
Follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. Kato. You can find me watching uh, The Thing because we're going to talk about it on Monday. That's true. That's our I'll next Waypoint 101. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we have a whole bunch of things coming up for, for Waypoint 101. Pardon? This is a good point. We do have to watch the thing next week, huh? We do. Yeah. We do. Mm-hmm. It's going to be spooky. Mm-hmm. It's going to be It's going to be spooky. It's going to be fucking... Uh, and of course, this is all thanks to waypointplus.com. Uh, waypointplus.com, you know, allows us to stream a bunch of things like Sid Meier's Gettysburg. It allows me to take a couple <laughs> days to write a big essay about Sid Meier's Gettysburg. It pays for me making all my friends play Sid Meier's Gettysburg. <laughs> uh as part of their jobs. I guess some of them are not my friends. They're my employees. But they feel like my friends when I give them orders to play Sid Meier's Gettysburg. Because uh, that's what friends are for. Did I just get a demotion? Like in your life? <laughs> well, I I feel like I uh, love playing this game with my friends that I ordered to play this game. Like I think one, one occasionally must look at the power dynamic. And, and be like... <laughs> yep, sure did force everyone to hop on the bullshit bandwagon. Uh, but I think we had a good time. I think it was a yeah. good thing. Just like Waypoint Plus. Go to waypointplus.com <laughs> to learn more nice. and support everything we do on Waypoint. Yeah. And yeah, coming up next, the thing, the game, the movie, the other, other stuff. Movie. <laughs> all to All to come. So if that sounds good, you just want more Waypoint, go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. That gives you access to the premium feed and supports everything else we do here. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. I'm slowing down the end of this podcast because it's irritating Patrick. I see him <laughs> vibrating with frustration. For now, we're calling time on this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.